Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, the podcast that we'd like to think is the audio equivalent of hanging out and fixing up an old fishing boat. I'm your host, Joe Cunningham, and joining me are... James Hunts. Amon Warman. And Lamar Assault. We have two guests. We've got Amon and Lamara this week. Very exciting. Uh, listeners, uh, you should recognise them both from before um from past podcasts uh Lamara I think the last time you were with us was to talk about Bucky because you were on our Cats in America uh the Winter Soldier episode I and was we... I'm always I'm always roped in to defend Bucky it's my job <laughs> we do, we do need someone to defend Bucky <laughs> <laughs> although I think spoiler alert this this might be the time that I've warmed to him the most <laughs> He is very, very handsome in this. <laughs> I think he just needed that haircut, just needed to sharpen up a little bit. And yeah, I'm all in. <laughs> and I'm on. Um, if, oh, when, what was the last episode you were on? Was it uh, Superman um, Returns? Yeah, Superman Returns. Yes. Yeah. Saying about how Superman Returns was a better Superman movie than Man of Steel. In other words, I was just spitting straight facts as per Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. As usual, yeah. <laughs> um guys it's we are approaching hopefully you know the the end of having to watch all of these things in our houses we've got cinemas returning in two weeks where what what's your approach to it are you going to be straight back in there opening day may 17th are you or are you going to be a little bit more cautious i i will be it's <laughs> Sort of a little bit of both. Like, I will be sort of, you know, checking out sort of cinema guidelines and sort of what each cinema are doing to still enforce sort of COVID restrictions and then making my decision from there. But I do want to return to cinemas as soon as possible. I have missed it like crazy. Uh, and yeah, I'm very excited to be back. What about you, Lamar? Yeah, same. Um Weirdly, I'm more anxious about it now than I was last summer when I saw Tenet in the cinemas. Um, mm. But I think hopefully after several lockdowns, everyone will have some good rules in place. But um, I mean, I don't even know what's going to be in the cinemas in two weeks. So, yeah, I should probably find that out. But eventually, yeah, I'll be back because um, I don't have the biggest TV and I've missed proper surround sound. <laughs> I was just looking. I, I was trying to 
make a call and I think I know what the answer to this is on opening night whether I return to the big screen to see a big lizard fight a big ape or whether <laughs> I go for um, Judas and the Black, Mas- Black Messiah instead and I, I I think it's going to be the latter <laughs> that's a good choice I, I've seen <laughs> them a couple of times and it's very very good and uh, Daniel Kaluuya Oscar mm. winner Daniel yeah. Kaluuya <laughs> uh, is fantastic. I actually think that Lakeith Stanfield is the better performance in that movie, which is not to say Daniel Kaluuya isn't great, but what Lakeith has to do, I think, is more difficult, and he absolutely bodies that role. He should have been nominated in the correct category. Mm. Um, (laughs) But, uh, yeah, uh, it's a good choice. Although, you know, I do want to see Godzilla vs. Kong on the big screen. The fact that my first watch of that film was on my little 30-inch Mm. it's actually not it is it's, it's it is the sort of film the screen but you know that's a film which you want to watch for the first time the biggest loudest IMAX screen possible <laughs> that is the sort of film that if you're not going to watch on the big screen it's sort of why bother at all exactly okay it ain't Shakespeare. I'll, I'll, I'll go and see both fine that's what I was <laughs> just, just double bill double bill it yeah um, okay, listeners, so today, as you uh, might have guessed, we will be discussing The Falcon and The Winter Soldier in its entirety. So if you've been listening along to us on Patreon, James and I have been discussing each of the six episodes week by week. Um, and yeah, we're, we're going to be spoiler-filled from the start, discussing all six episodes of the show on this podcast uh, but before any of that, I'm going to ask James to explain a comic book concept that I just don't understand. James, um, apparently Marvel have launched a big new event this week. It's called they Heroes have. Reborn. Um, what's it about? And I understand that Heroes Reborn is a, is also the naming of an event from the past. So yeah. is, th- is this as ex- exciting as the old one? Was the old one any good to begin uh, with? <laughs> the old, okay. Well, so the new one. The new one is just, it's one of those big alternate universe what if stories. And the what if in this story is like, what would the Marvel universe look like if the Avengers never formed? Um, so there's no Captain America, like all the, a bunch of different heroes are having different identities, you know. I think there's uh, Doctor Doom has the gem of Citrax, so he's Doctor Juggernaut. Um, just a bunch of sort of, what if stories mashed together? To be honest, I'm not super jazzed for it. Okay. <laughs> I feel like I've done this kind of what if the Marvel Universe, but slightly different story a lot in the last 20 years. We're um, going to do it on Disney Plus later this year. Maybe, yeah. Um, you know, individual um, what if stories, I don't actually mind. It's when they turn them into big events, I'm just like, why does any of this matter? There was a, uh, the, the, the last big Marvel event I read was, well, I read the main event and a couple of the offshoots was Secret Wars. And that was yeah. kind of what ifs. Um, and yeah. there, was a, there was a couple of the side stories that were fun. I read the the Thors comic, which was like a, mm-hmm. a, cop, a cop story with lots of different Thors. Yeah. Uh, which was okay. I mean, the, the twist in that was kind of that they brought back a whole bunch of old alternate universes to, to do their stories with. Mm. Or like span them out of old stories. So... That was kind of fun, but you know, that was only like five or six years ago. It's not it's not been that long since they did this, like no. did it before with House of M. They did a similar version with Avengers Standoff. Like it just is oh, yeah, the I kind of that. story that comes around quite a lot. And um, so what was what was the original Heroes Reborn? The original had a bit more intrigue behind it because it was like a, a corporate 
deal where they farmed out a bunch of their low-selling characters, which, if you can believe it at the time, were the Avengers, Captain America, Iron Man, and the Fantastic Four. And they gave them, oh, they yeah. gave them to Image Comics. Yeah, they gave them to Image Comics and said, we can't make them sell, see what you can do. Because, you know, the, the people at Image were some of Marvel's biggest artists like five years ago, mm. five years prior. Um, and so they took them out of the Marvel Universe. And for a year, there were no Avengers in the Marvel Universe. There was just the X-Men and stuff. Um, and the, those titles got rebooted in their own separate universe. Um, and then after a year, the deal ran out and they all came back. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that was fun at the time. Um, I'm not sure if this really shares anything in common. So maybe um, maybe let's check back in at the end of the summer to see whether Heroes Reborn was worth it. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, well, we'll move on to the comic book movie and TV news now. And we will start off with the... Um, the video that, that aimed to get us excited to get back into cinemas again. Um, and uh, that it was, it, it was a Marvel video that had new footage from Eternals in it. And it had um, footage that we'd already seen from uh, Black Widow and Shang-Chi. And then the title cards for the rest of, I think what we are now assuming is phase four of the MCU. Um, I think I think in general, Amon, it'd just be, I don't know if you agree with me, that the, the first thing that hit me in terms of excitement was just Marvel kind of committing and, uh, you know, pumping up the theatrical experience that this is, this is, it was like a, hey, welcome back. We know it's been a while let's all get together in it in at the big screen again and watch these movies yeah 100 percent. i mean nothing gets the blood pumping quite like an mcu montage like that and yeah when i think of some of my favorite cinema experiences a lot of those are for marvel films and it's especially sort of a great touch for them to include the uh opening day reaction of avengers endgame within that video mm-hmm. Um, because I mean, I remember <laughs> I, well, when, when I watched it with Lamar, it was the second time I watched it, but it was like, it was like one of the few midnight screenings that I've ever been to because I wanted, I, I'd been to the screening uh, the, sort of the day before um, and I wanted to feel that energy again from people who hadn't seen it yet. Mm. And it was mm. just electric. Um, there's, there's nothing quite like that. I, I can't, wait um until i see a marvel movie with a full packed house again and they really sort of lead into uh the specialness of that uh within within the clip i absolutely loved it and yeah i injected it into my veins my <laughs> artery and my capillaries immediately it was awesome Producer Reese and i went to see avengers Endgame game at a midnight screening and at this there's two moments from our big screen Avengers Endgame experience that I remember. The first is in that midnight screening when the five years later title card came up. And you know, they did it with the five years. <laughs> and you're there going, and I just remember everyone in the screen being like, oh. <laughs> um, and, and that midnight screening was great, but um, 
because Reese and I are the people we are, we then went back to see it the next evening um, on uh, at the same at the same cinema. And at that one, the moment was just when a girl down our row started openly sobbing when Iron Man died <laughs> to the point that the entire audience kind of nervously last, laughed along with her because she was genuinely like breaking down going, it's so sad, why did he have to go? <laughs> and it was, yeah, a, you know, perfect example of, um, you know, uh, just a, an, ex- an experience that we've all been robbed of for over a year. And in terms of Marvel, right, it's been... Spider-Man Far From Home. Almost two years. Yeah. 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 No, I very much need my Marvel fix. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, there's, you know, I I love watching all types of films at the cinema, but there's not really, there's not many films which give you the sort of remember where you were when you first saw this sort of feeling. Mm. And with Infinity War and Endgame and Black Panther for sure, these were like event movies, cultural movies, which, you know, everyone was looking forward to in ways that we haven't really seen before um, when it comes to sort of, you know, big blockbuster type movies. Um, you know, the, the, the hype uh, for all of them was special, was almost as special as watching the movie itself. Um, maybe maybe the Star Wars prequels were, <laughs> were out okay. there. <laughs> like, yeah, okay. Um, but yeah. Uh, I'm just looking for the fact that we're sort of we're, we're ready to sort of getting that aspect back as well because I think as well as the movies themselves, what we missed was the hype for those movies. Now I I really enjoyed the cycle of that personally in terms of you know, watching the trailer, getting hyped to release dates, you know, <laughs> doing your a montage. Exactly, that's one yeah. of the things which, um, I may we were robbed not, of last year. Yeah, I may or may not be working on. um but uh yeah um as i say i'm just very 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 excited and marvel they're also just very good at showmanship um better than any studio working today um and they know how to do a promo like i see sort of warner brothers and dc announce things sometimes and i'm like (laughs) i i almost sort of feel nothing because they're just sort of like dump it online it's like okay marvel they have that flair that that je ne sais quoi, um <laughs> which which just works really well so so to get into the actual uh content of that video so yeah we we saw the the shang chi and um black widow footage that that we you know that none of that was new but eternals that was the first we've seen of it full stop we got angelina jolie holding um a big ass sword and we got the the Chloe Zhao um, sunset photography that uh, supposedly in a viral post blew Kevin Feige's mind this week. Um, Lamara, what did you think of our first glance at the Eternals? Are you um, where where does that rank in terms of the MCU movies coming up that you're looking forward to? Um, near the top, just because I have no idea what it's about and what to expect, really. I am keen to see if the. I mean, are we just ignoring that Gemma Chan was in another Marvel movie? Is, is, yes. Are we just okay? <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah, we're ignoring it entirely. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm keen on it. It's got such a huge cast, and apparently, you know, there's a deaf actor, I think, and one of the characters is going to be supposedly gay, and uh, you know, it's it's dealing with other worlds and sorts of 
stuff. So very excited for that. So I think it will be unlike anything Marvel done before. Um, so I'm quite keen on that. And also Angelina Jolie in a blonde wig with a kind of British accent. I, she sounds like she has. Um, so yeah, here for that. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what to make of that in, uh, is it December that one is coming out? Yeah. Yeah, that's the all, last of the three, isn't it? All yeah. I'll say with the gay thing, and this is something Marvel have been guilty of, this is something Star Wars have been guilty of, this mm-hmm. is something Disney as a whole has been guilty of, but they have over-promised and under-delivered yep. many a time. And we don't want another exclusively gay moment. We want a, if a character's gay, let's have them be gay. Exactly. Um, so yeah, we are yeah. watching, is what we're saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also, Kamal Nanjiani needs to be topless for the whole film because he spent like years <laughs> working out, right? So what was the point of that crazy diet he went on if he's not going to be in the news just throughout the whole film? <laughs> James, are you starting to get one round by this? Uh, I wish I could say I was, but the the problem is I have too many preconceptions about what the Eternals are or aren't, which is interesting. So, do you, for, for you, does it just have to be a like I can't? There's no there's no way you can get me excited for a movie called The Eternals until I've seen it and know that it's not the Eternals that I have preconceptions of. Yeah, I need a trailer. I need a trailer. Yeah, I mean, yeah. a proper trailer that tells me something about the story. You know, the, the few shots that we saw could have been from a Mortal Kombat movie, for all I know. <laughs> I think, I, I think at the very least, I, what it's going to come down to probably is how much Chloe Zhao is is that movie. Given, you know, she's just she's just won Best Picture and Best Director at the Oscars. Uh, you know, like that's someone that has a vision it looked you know it looked to me like those shots that were in the were in the footage were there deliberately to go hey if you know anyone about if you know anything about her having you know read all of the oscar news this week look it's a it's a movie from that person um but yeah would remains to be seen i guess whether that's something that we see over all the movie because, you know, I'd love to see what is a Marvel movie that's given over to a director like her in the same way that, you know, James Gunn got to do Guardians of the Galaxy. That that feels like undeniably his movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And also, you know, what's the action going to look like? Is it going to be, is it going to be, you know... <laughs> Take away pre- TTs. Someone else did this before I came on set. Or Yeah. 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 Which, you know, I, I think probably is going to be the case, but... We'll see. We'll see. Um, and then after that, we got the um, we got the title for Black Panther 2, which, uh, Amon, could you deliver that for us? Wakanda forever. <laughs> <laughs> now, it's really, really good. Um, I like it a lot. Uh, yeah. Before sort of we saw it, like I was thinking, speculating that maybe Shuri would be part of the subtitle. Um, uh, because I expect that she will have a much more elevated role than she would have previously had uh, before mm-hmm. Chadwick. Um, but yeah, we're kind of forever sort of synonymous with Black Panther and synonymous with Chadwick uh, for in 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 the, in the in the in the universal way in many respects. So, um, given that you know the film was going to be paying tribute to Chadwick in I'm guessing more ways than one, it makes sense as a title. Uh, in, in a big way so yeah I, I dig it a lot 
Yeah, I and and I think that that has so much recognition that it and you know you can see from the from the title card it's Black Panther in small font with Wakanda Forever real big. I think mm-hmm. you could probably release a movie called Wakanda Forever and everyone would know that it's a Black Panther movie. I don't know whether you know, they come you know, given given what happened with the Birds of Prey title and that <laughs> a week or two in they decided oh actually the brand recognition isn't there. Quick, mm-hmm. let's let's refocus it on Harley Quinn. But yeah, I, I just like. Black Panther was such a phenomenon. It's still the highest grossing movie in at the US box office, isn't it? Ever. Um you would you would think that they could just call it Wakanda Forever and not even bother with a subtitle. <laughs> Probably. Probably, but no. Black Panther, that name recognition man. <laughs> you need to get that. <laughs> but uh but yeah, uh, as I say, I I really like it. I do not envy the job Ryan Kugler has had, but at the same time there's nobody I would trust more uh, to write and direct that film than him. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so yeah, I'm, in, I'm intrigued and excited and, you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens. And I still, I don't know about you guys, I still kind of feel icky about speculating about how the film will handle it. What will it do? Will it, will it have a lead? Will it just, will it be pure ensemble? I, I mean, I, well, I just kind of, I just kind of think, let's sit back and see what they do with it, because as you say, yeah, I, I kind of trust Ryan Googler to get it right. I think the good thing about Black Panther in that regard is more so than any other MCU movie which has a solo hero in the title. Black Panther was a hero by committee. Um, he wouldn't have gotten far without Okoye, without Nakia, without Shuri in that movie. All of those three characters are really have some really strong setup to them because of how much that movie spread the wealth. Um, and, and, and I mean, he's off the board for like half an hour in the middle of the film. Mm-hmm. And you, and you see that kind of, yeah, that, that baton passed on for that, for that stretch of the movie. Yeah, I completely agree. And the quality of the supporting cast as well, like we, you, we were talking about Daniel Kluya, there he is in a, in a role that, you know, is maybe, ninth tenth down the pecking order in black panther and yeah dude just won an oscar yeah yeah now they've, they've got plenty of characters to play with and i think this film in conjunction with also the upcoming sort of uh i'm not sure i'm not sure if it's one miniseries or several miniseries and obviously he's got this uh what kind of deal with uh disney to to do disney plus content um it's going to be very interesting to really explore Wakanda in more detail because um, there's a lot to get into uh, in so many different levels. I mean, not just with Wakanda itself, but the fact that it's been five years, will be, will be five MCU years since we've you know returned to Wakanda in sort of earnest. There's been, and, and this is just when Wakanda has unveiled itself to the world. Mm-hmm. Um, we, there's so much to catch up on. There's so many different stories they can tell just within what has taken place within the five years that everyone was blipped, uh, not to mention what is happening in the present day MCU now, now that everyone has come back. There's a lot to get into. Um, so yeah, it'll be, be very interesting to see what stories uh, are told just from, just from those factors. And then the other new title is The Marvels, which is the, the new title for Captain Marvel 2. Um, Again, a very cool title card, which um, 
I think makes it clear that um, you know Carol Danvers is not not the only lead of that movie. That it's gonna that that is gonna be a ensemble lead, and it sounds like it's gonna be Iman Vellani's Ms. Marvel and Tiana Paris as uh, Monica Rambeau as well. Uh, whether she ends up being getting a a title, whether she's another Captain Marvel, who knows? Uh, but yeah, I. It, You'd think now it's probably not going to be photon. It's probably more likely going to be, a, a, a you know, a superhero Monica with Marvel in the name. We'll <laughs> we'll see about that. Lamara, were you uh, were you a fan of Monica Rambeau in in the WandaVision show? Are you uh, are you are you looking forward to a a Captain Marvel two that spreads the wealth? Yeah, I am looking forward to it. Um, I, I didn't love how Monica was handled in WandaVision. Um, uh, I thought that could have been a bit better. So I, I'm i hopeful that she, we just don't see her like in full superhero gear and without getting a bit of explanation because that felt a tad rushed to me. Um, I'm actually I most have powers excited. Now. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> I'm most excited actually about um, Zoe Ashton playing the villain. I think that is yes. very good casting and I'm very intrigued to see um, what she does. I was lucky enough to see um, her in Betrayal with two other MCU actors and she was amazing. So I'm um, quite a fan of her and um, her entry into the MCU. So, but yeah, I, I, and also Ms. Marvel is another character that I only know very little about. So I'm looking forward to that TV show and how it will tie in to the, to the movie itself. So that all seems pretty good. It's a move that reminds me of, do you remember when the, the first trailer for Infinity War came out? And oh, yes. there was there was significant Wakanda in it. And I remember going, huh, they must be pretty confident about Black Panther if they are showing that much, or it's going to feature that heavily in Infinity War. Um, and they obviously were, and they were right. <laughs> um, so yeah, to, to have Ms. Marvel elevated to a co-lead in the Captain Marvel sequel, like not just a supporting character, which I think we probably assumed, right? That it was another Carol Danvers movie with some other people as, you know, some supporting characters. Um, but yeah, Ms. Marvel's logo is in the title. She is going to be a big part of that. It suggests that they are very happy with the direction that show has taken in, in introducing that character. Yeah, I'm very excited to see that show. I would highly recommend to Lamara, to Joe, to anybody who hasn't read the comics. The comics are great. And um, you'd be, yeah, I just read them before you sort of dive into the show. You will they're, be- very, they're very much like a sort of modern, like classic teen superhero thing. A bit like what Spider-Man was to the 60s, Ms. Marvel is to the, the current generation of kids. Mm. What James said, perfectly put. Um, <laughs> I, will, I, I imagine there's going to be less uh, Terrigen Mist in the MCU TV show, but yes. be wrong. I would say that the thing that probably excites me most about the Marvels is Nia DaCosta, um, because Captain Marvel, I enjoyed. It was fine. Um, but in terms of MCU films that I think about, in terms of having... Um, you know, the director's stamp on it. Um, Captain Marvel is not one that no. comes to mind. No. And <laughs> I think Naya the Costa, um, you know, I'm especially excited for what she's going to do with Candyman. Um, but I imagine that 
she will be allowed to put her stamp uh, on uh, the sequel. And that sort of you know, makes me more excited for it immediately. Because uh, I think Marvel have gotten better at allowing uh, or coming to an agreement with directors uh, in terms of uh, how much of themselves they can put into uh, these projects. Obviously with Ryan Coogler, James Gunn, Taika with TT probably being the directors who've had the most success with that. Um, so hopefully that's something that will be continued in the Eternals for sure, but also in the Marvels. I think Captain Marvel is one of the MCU movies that has aged the worst for me. There's not, when I think back on it, there's not, it, it, it doesn't hang together. It's not the most memorable of their films. And I, and I think actually in terms of, you know, you know, like I, I think Brie Larson is great, but mm-hmm. the way that they handled that character across Endgame and Captain Marvel it sounded like even she wasn't sure quite who her character was, who her character was at various stages, given that... I think she filmed uh, Endgame before she filmed Captain Marvel, so... Yes, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, So you're you're kind of like doubling back on trying to have a character that that leads to that point that you you maybe don't feel like you completely own already. And then just, you know, what a difficult character to play, which is... Here is this person who doesn't actually remember who she is or her own origin, which, you know, was, a, I think, like a clever way to try and do a new twist of an origin story, but not that helpful when you are trying to really give an actor something to get their teeth into. So Better than an execution. Yeah. So, so yeah, uh, hopefully she gets a, a better crack at the whip this time. And, yeah, you say interesting director, uh, a, a proper supporting cast being built up around her and all women this time as well, um, which, you know, wasn't the case last time. It would, you know, bits of a Be- Annette Benning and Gemma mm-hmm. Chan, as you mentioned, Lamara, <laughs> who now we are obligated to forget was in that movie. <laughs> um, so, yeah. The thing that's so normally about sort of not just in that, but also Guardians as, as well, I guess. But Jaimon Honsu is a fantastic actor. He's been in all the franchises, yeah. but please give that man something to do. <laughs> <laughs> so frustrating, because he's so great. But I like, forgot, early I forgot in, about that. Early in Captain Marvel, like, dude, come on, give him something to do. He's Jaimon okay. Honsu. Put some respect on the guy's name. He did give us the definitive who gift from Guardians, so... Yes, <laughs> that's <is> true. <laughs> this is very true. <laughs> he peaked in that first Guardians trailer. <laughs> yeah, he gets the big moment in that trailer, doesn't he? That's it. <laughs> he was our introduction to the Guardians of the Galaxy, and he uh, totally nailed it. Um, okay, we're going to move over to DC now. Um, we spoke on a podcast uh, a couple of months ago about. Um, a Superman project that was uh, being developed by Tanahasi Coates and J.J. Uh, Abrams. Um, and now a little bit of news on that this week um, is that it's it sounds like it is progressing well. The Hollywood Reporter um, wrote that they're actively looking for a director. Uh, and I think some people assumed that J.J. Abrams might be wanting to direct that himself given his connection with Superman in the past. Um, 
but as the as the Hollywood Reporter article points out, that might not have been a great look. Um, they used the word tone deaf. Um, so <laughs> instead, Warners and DC are committed to hiring a black director to uh, to tackle the movie. Um, and then there is there's this fun wrinkle in there as well that apparently the timings are working out quite similar. Uh, between this project and Marvel's Blade project. Mm. Um, now, Blade obviously already has its star in place with Mahershala Ali, uh, but doesn't have a director, and that the two projects could be competing for the same kind of list list of names. So the, the ones that are mentioned in this piece, we've got Creed II's Stephen Capel Jr., uh, J.D. Dillard, Regina King, Shaka King, um, who uh, are all mentioned here. Um, Amon, we've we've just talked about um, Shaki King's Oscar-nominated movie. Is that is that a name that stands out there, or is there anyone that yeah. you think? I mean, I'd I, like to see them tackle a Superman film. I just took a second to appreciate and enjoy the fact that we're getting these two sort of big black superheroes on screen, and we're talking about all these big black directors. I mean, mm. five, ten years ago, this would have been crazy, unheard of, and now it's sort of like. It's still, you know, exciting and almost unheard of, but it's like, it, it, it just feels cool. So I'm just taking a moment. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, no, Shaka King, um, he really sort of did a fantastic job uh, with Judas and the Black Messiah. And you know, to the point where it got you know, Oscar nominated for Best Picture, you don't get there if your film doesn't work on several levels. Um, so his is definitely a name that stands out. I think I saw Barry Jenkins's name there. Obviously yes. stands out. Yeah. Uh, the Underground Railroad starts up, you know, very soon. Uh, by the way, and you should definitely check it out. It's spectacular. Um, so you're yeah. not the you're not the only person saying that I'm on. I think everyone I've seen that's written about the show, the embargo lifted this week. And yeah, it so. just it just sounds overwhelming. And I mean, I've loved his first two movies. <laughs> like yeah. they're both incredible as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, I could get into a whole spiel about that, but that's for a different pod. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, uh, it's really, really interesting. I'm just, you know, Ta-Nehisi Coates is still the most exciting name uh, within the the, the sort of black Superman sphere for me. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I've sort of been reading his Captain America comics, uh, which I think are really, really good and interesting. And that ability to pair heroics with substantial issues of our time and apply them to heroism Mm -hmm. is really really great and especially when it comes to superman right now i think very very much needed um and it'll be just very very exciting to see that uh so uh you know i a a lot a lot of the director's names you were saying like regina king one night in miami is great uh would love to see her tackle this barry jenkins stephen cable i i loved creed 2 uh, I think Creed is better, but um, not for anything that Creed 2 did wrong. Uh, I still think Creed 2 is, is great as well. So, yeah, uh, any and all of those names for both Blade and uh, Black Superman, I'd be very helpful. What about actors? So, you know, it might be that, it might be that, um, you know, they go for an up-and-coming actor for Superman. Because I do, you know, I do get the sense that this is a project that's going to happen. But if there was, if it was an established actor, I don't know whether Superman has to be American. I don't know whether that is a prerequisite or whether you could, 
or whether you could look broader than that. But is there anyone that stands out to you as as like, oh, they would be super interesting for that role? Hmm. Um, well, as it happens, Lamar, you know this. Um, <laughs> and there was a tweet that was going around, which my sister sent me the other day. Let me get it up. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, she mentioned that the gentleman in uh, a good place, William Jackson Harper. Oh yeah, expensive man. That could be very interesting. Um, I also I've also seen another interesting suggestion, which I like. Personally, plays Ali in One Night in Miami. His name is Eli Gore. That's been a name that's been bandied about. That could be interesting. Obviously, Michael B. Jordan is in the thick of things here, and mm. he's an actor who has proven himself many times over. Uh, his Killmonger. Obviously, his great, his creed is great. Uh, and, you know, I don't think he has any trouble bulking up for roles. I mean, you, you might think that, I don't know. <laughs> no. when, whenever I watch a Michael B. Jordan film lately, like I've watched his latest film without remorse and without getting into spoilers, there's a time, there's a, there's a scene where, you know, he takes his top off uh, for fight purposes as well as, you know, aesthetic purposes, I guess. But there's a name, there's a, there's a word I always sort of, use when I'm talking about Michael B. Jordan's when I'm talking about Michael B. Jordan films lately and that word is gymspiration. Um <laughs> so so yeah but um yeah uh any and all of those names would be very very interesting um I think because you, you mentioned sort of you know should this be like an unknown up and comer I wouldn't mind that actually um I think the strength of just on the face of it uh, especially the black superman project is the names behind the camera rather than the names in front of the camera right now. Um, I think Superman's a, a big enough entity yeah. that you don't need to necessarily know the lead beforehand. Yeah. So, and so. It, it could be interesting to have someone that you don't, you, you're not bringing anything with you to that role. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm sure, my, I'm sure most audiences didn't know Brandon Routh or um, Henry Cavill before they showed up as Superman. Yeah, well, I mean, I watched the Count of Monte Cristo, so. <laughs> but um, but yes, on the whole, I think you are correct. Is there anyone that you can think of, Lamara, that that would make a good a good Superman? Um, not really. No, I don't have much. Of I can't believe Lamara. I'm right here. I'm right here. <laughs> <laughs> I I agree with Amon. Is that an acceptable answer? I kind of feel like we still haven't seen Henry Cavill's. Superman really so it, it feels weird mm. to talk about other people but <laughs> that that ship has sailed so yeah I um, think it has yeah yeah <laughs> yeah I'm not really fast any of those people will be uh will be pretty exciting to see I am like kind of excited to see Superman being given to like just someone who will presumably put a different spin on it because I feel like the the last few Superman appearances we've had have all been Zack Snyder's kind of jacked up hyper masculine pretty aggressive version well i don't think we i don't think we really ever got any further than what we saw in man of steel Mm-mm. no i don't Indeed. i don't think we got i don't think we got any any like real interesting wrinkles to that character beyond that first movie mm-hmm. beyond anything else with a new superman movie i just want to feel the way i should feel when superman is on screen again i haven't really felt that way about henry cavill's superman um at barely any point like even man is still i just didn't feel that way there's not a lot of warmth there is there that's the thing that i think the Zack snyder version has missed yeah and you don't feel safe around that guy 
You really don't. Um, not unless your name is Lois. I mean, change your name to Lois. <laughs> you travel, Zack Snyder, Superman versus you might be okay. Change your um, name to Lois. Draw a warm <laughs> bath and you'll have a great time. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, that's the thing I'm most excited for with a new Superman movie because we could really just, as a society in the real world, we could really do with a great Superman movie right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. And if, you know, whoever manages to give us that, we will be, I know I will be very grateful for sure. Okay, um, final quick bit of news this week. Uh, were you guys aware that HBO Max were, in a, were making a Green Lantern TV show? Because <laughs> I genuinely I wasn't. Was. I, I, I completely forgotten about it, but I was yeah. aware. <laughs> was, it on your, was it on your radio at all, Amara? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Do you need more Green Lantern in your life? Is it a character that, that you get excited for at all? No. No, (laughs) I'm just thinking back to when I saw the film and I and I went to sleep. Um, I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing how the character should be because I I don't feel like the Ryan Reynolds film showed us that. Um, I know there's been other TV stuff, but no, I'm not. I'm not really checking for that, to be honest. I'm not really that excited for this version of Green Lantern. Like, I'm lucky in that the version of Green Lantern that I grew up with was John Stewart in the fantastic justice league animated series which i may have mentioned once or five million times <laughs> on this podcast um and you know having that i i knew about john stewart i knew about john stewart long before i'd heard the name hal jordan um yeah and i know for 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 many that's sort of the that's the inverse but that that is what i grew up with as i can't believe that we're still in 2021 and john stewart has not yet had his day on any type of screen um it is past well, time didn't, didn't Zack Snyder mention that he wanted to put um, John Stewart in Justice League and they said no? I think that he wanted to do something in the Snyder Cut and they said no. I don't think yeah, in the, in yeah, the, sorry, in the Snyder yeah. Cut, yeah. 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 Uh, which would make sense because they're doing, they're doing this HBO Max show. Um, so it is coming from um, Greg Berlanti who is obviously, and Mark Guggenheim, who are the uh, the Arrow guys. Uh, Mark Guggenheim also works on the 2011 Green Lantern movie. Um, it's going to actually be showrun by Seth Graham Smith, who worked on the Lego Batman movie, and I think came to prominence because of Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Uh, the the idea behind the show is that you're going to be uh, that you're going to be following multiple versions of Green Lantern. So to read from the official show description. Green Lantern reinvents the classic DC property through a story spanning decades and galaxies, beginning on Earth in 1941 with the very first Green Lantern, secretly gay FBI agent Alan Scott, and 1984 with cocky alpha male Guy Gardner and half-alien Bree Jarter, that will be joined by a multitude of other lanterns from comic book favourites to never-before-seen heroes. So it sounds like this is truly a Green Lantern show. I would be stunned if Jon Stewart doesn't become a part of it. But obviously he's not one of these first two leads because those two leads are Alan Scott and Guy Gardner. Guy Gardner has been cast. That's why that's in, this is in the news this week. And it is Finn Wittrock, who is an actor I'm not too familiar with because he comes from the um, Ryan Murphy verse predominantly. He's in lots of Ryan Murphy shows. Apparently he's going to be one of the leads of season two of Ratchet, which is a, a, a show that you, you couldn't pay me to watch. Um, and a guy that I recognize from The Big Short, but actually 
having looked at his IMDb today and, you know, realised, oh, I have actually seen him in quite a few different things, but it it was only really the big short that I think he registered for me in. Um, are you guys are you guys familiar with Finn Wittrock? Are you, uh, you excited to see an HBO show led by this guy? Not even slightly familiar. <laughs> yeah, I watched him in the um, Gianni Versace crime story series, and he was quite good. He had probably the, the most uh, heart wrenching. Well, is this a spoiler? But um, <laughs> he he had a, a pretty nasty scene um, and and was quite good. Uh, but that's all I've seen him in, and he has a very kind of uh, chiselled movie star face. So I suppose that's right for a superhero. But that's the only thing I've seen him in. And. James, Guy Gardner's the asshole Green Lantern, right? Is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, I was just looking at Finn Wittrock. He does not scream Guy Gardner at me, but um, maybe they'll dye his hair ginger. Um, the article also says that the, um, the deal for whoever is going to be playing Alan Scott is um, on the cusp of closing um and is expected to be announced soon so listeners uh if you know the way we normally record this podcast that news will have been announced five minutes after we finish recording and you can look that up on the internet we can't comment um but yeah it's, it's interesting what dc are doing it seems like they've completely kind of thrown you know thrown things up in the air because they're the DC shows that are in development on HBO Max are this Peacemaker Suicide Squad spin-off with John Cena, which is filming and happening. This Batman spin-off centred on the Gotham Police Department, which um, is apparently tied to the Matt Reeves Batman. Uh, and then um, there was a Justice League Dark show that was mentioned as well. And so it does really seem like DC are just going... Let's not even pretend anymore. Yeah, maybe this can be connected to that thing and that's connected to that thing. But there's not one overarching. It's it, it's not the it's not the Marvel Disney Plus model. It's we'll just we'll just make stuff and if we think it's going to be good, we'll put it out. I mean, in that- fairness, the the Marvel Disney Plus model has played quite fast and loose with any idea of canonicity as it is. In- like they like us to believe everything is connected, but they, you know, <laughs> it's more of a marketing idea than a story idea, right? Yeah, but it is it is all in the same universe. I guess the 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 difference is that you know if you you know if you watch this, <laughs> is it that? <laughs> I guess I guess the 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 thing is if you watch Green Lanterns, you have no idea whether any of those characters are going to show up in a DC movie in the future. And even if they did, which DC movie they would turn up in? Because you don't know which part of that universe they exist in mm-hmm. and, what, and what's connected to what. And how is that different from Daredevil, for example? Oh, no, no. But that's not the Disney... The Disney Plus, I'm talking about, like, the, the current MCU. Movie. Sure, yeah. But yeah, okay, yeah. I, guess, I, I guess, and back then at least, the in the old MCU model there was a pretense that it was all connected. Whereas yeah. here, the difference here is, I don't, I don't think there is, or it might just be a, you know, let's figure it out as we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. Does that get, Lamar Ramon, does that give you, uh, I don't know, more confidence as a viewer that a show can kind of go off and be its own thing? Or does it give you less confidence because it feels like DC are just, like throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks. 
Yeah, it's, it's more of the latter for me because um, with the Snyderverse, one of the casualties of it was um, while the Snyder stuff didn't work, there were a couple of movies which did, like the Wonder Woman movie, for instance. So rightfully, they're trying to keep what worked and discard what didn't. Um, but then everything which is coming afterwards, it's like some of that is still maybe connected to Wonder Woman and your Aquamans and everything else. And then some of the some of it is not. So it's like kind of a mess right now. Like I make as I said, I said before, like Disney can announce a Howard the Duck movie tomorrow. And a part of me would be intrigued and excited because like, okay, how is this gonna factor in with everything? How can it be as good as the original? Yeah. <laughs> Whereas like DC have like done in theory some interesting announcements i think a few weeks ago there was an announcement like they were doing a, a blue beetle thing but i'm like okay what does that mean for uh dc at at large as a whole um and yeah to, to me I, I don't know it just feels like the latter in terms of what you were saying in terms of that they're throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks and some of that stuff is you know by itself genuinely exciting but I don't know where it fits in with everything. I'm always thinking yeah. about that. I guess on the on the flip side, if it means that because continuity and everything tying together isn't as important, it means that they can just crack on with a black Superman movie without worrying about all of that other stuff, then huh? great. Because maybe over at Marvel, they've had pictures that they go, ah, do you know what? That's good, but it just doesn't fit. So we're not going to do it. You never know. True. So, um, so yeah, um, there is a there is a Green Lantern show coming, and as I said, look up online to find out who's playing Alan Scott because I think you'll find out before we do. Um, so that was this week's commitment movie and TV news. We will uh, take a quick pause now to listen to the trailer for the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and be back with our spoiler-filled thoughts on that entire six-episode series. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra. And I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. So, 
who would like to start? Mr. Barnes, why does Sam aggravate you? 15 seconds to drop. So what's our plan? Great. Superheroes cannot be allowed to exist. I have no intention to leave my work unfinished. upside down right now where do we start Buck, i have a plan oh yeah what is it is you ready here we go again huh we've been running hard on the job can't take that from us Wasn't so hard. Are you ready? Oh. Is you ready? ready? Okay. You say you ready. What are you doing? Are you having a staring contest? Are you ready? Ready? Is you ready? Just blank, sweet Jesus. I mean, how old are you? Okay, so Falcon and the Winter Soldier, or uh, if we give it its name at the end of the series, Captain America and the Winter Soldier. Um, I thought you were going to say the acronym there. The fat twice. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not going to. Let's. I, I don't think that one's going to catch on. Uh, <laughs> um, I think our listeners, if they've, uh, you know, for, for our listeners who've been listening along on Patreon, probably have heard a lot about what James and I think about the show already. So it'd be good um, if we go to you first, Lamara. What What was your broad take on the show? I enjoyed it with some caveats um i think that uh it gave me enough of what i wanted from it 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 stuck the landing enough um and each episode had you know things in it that i I enjoyed um to be honest if you ask me uh, before it started if it being you know good was what i wanted or expected i probably would say no i obviously wanted it to be great and perfect and not have all the issues that we're going to get into in this conversation but yeah, generally, uh, as a fan of both characters, it gave me uh, enough of what I wanted, and, and I generally enjoyed it. And what, what, so what was that going in? If you, you know, in, in terms of the stuff that it did give you that you wanted, what was that that it delivered? Was it character stuff, or was it? Yeah, just just having more time with with characters who just haven't had any, and you know, understandably because you know they weren't important to the plot of Infinity War and Endgame. Uh, so that's fine but yeah just just having a bit more time with them if anything I, I wanted more character stuff actually I could have done with less mm. uh, you know magic or shenanigans and all other <laughs> types of stuff um, I, I and I think that even though it had a wobbly start I think that Sam's arc of becoming Cap um, pretty much worked and I was surprisingly excited when he did embrace it and showed up in full gear I know that the suit is a bit uh not everyone liked it but I thought it worked for me 
Whereas mm. Bucky, I thought his ending was a bit wobbly and his start was better. So yeah, it wasn't 100% all the way through, but those just getting to know those characters a little bit better was was what I wanted. And yeah, if anything, I would have liked to have actually had more time with them and maybe less with some other characters I didn't care about too much. <laughs> it's interesting what you say there, because I wonder whether there is, whether half the battle in terms of enjoying one of these MCU TV shows is, you know, the title announcement and the characters that you're going to be following. Because, you know, if you like certain characters and they are in the title of a new Disney Plus show, you know, unless they're going to drastically change, there's going to be, there's, there is going to be that base level of enjoyment and familiarity that you're going to get out of it. Um, and, you know, we when James and I were going through, you know, the announcement of various different TV shows, like, there's no way that James is going to have a bad time with Armor Wars, you know? Just, <laughs> like, even if it's, even if it's, you know, not a, as you say, a good rather than great version of that show, James is going to, is going to really enjoy, you know. Not just James, that. everyone, every viewer. Will <laughs> but, you know, everyone like, and, but Tarrant Howard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what, but, uh, um, what if they brought him back? <laughs> oh, that would be the best piece of casting. Bringing back Terence Howard for Armor Wars. He can be part of the Boner family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bring him back as Jimmy Boner, and <laughs> and give him like a, a homemade Iron Man suit that John Walker's <laughs> cobbled together in a post-credit sequence, and, uh, <laughs> and they fight. That's the entire show. The winner gets to play um, gets to play Rhodey moving forward. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> How about you? Where did uh, were your expectations met with Falcon and the Winter Soldier? My expectations were extremely high. Um, of all the Disney Plus shows that had been announced, this was the one I was looking forward to most because of the potential it had for me. Um, it's interesting. I remember sort of when the first episode or two of the Falcon and Winter Soldier was released, it was coming off the back of WandaVision and people were saying that, you know, this is more of this, you know, Marvel that we are familiar with and it's samey Marvel and all that sort of stuff. And whilst there is some truth to that, I actually think there's a lot about Falcon and Winter Soldier that is unique um, to the MCU in a big way. I think that show was uniquely positioned to say some things about being a black hero and black heroism, especially in America in today's world, that was really unique and could be very powerful. And I don't think Marvel leaned into that as much as they should have, um, mm -hmm. which frustrated me at points. Uh, I'm sure we're gonna get into that in more detail. Um, but I agree with Lamara in that um, while the journey there was muddled the end destination i did enjoy i did enjoy uh when he threw the shield through the window and quit and sort of announced himself as captain America. all of that was great um i just wish that the journey there uh for his character was stronger um i think i think on the whole they stuck the landing but i think it just across the six episodes i think across the six episodes i think the storytelling could have been better for pretty much every character. Um, with Sam and Bucky, I think they do a, I think they do a solid enough job. With the Flag Smashers, I don't think they do a good enough job. Um, with John Walker, I thought they were doing a good job. And then with episode <laughs> six, 
I don't know what I mean. I've 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 read some interviews after the fact as well. Yeah. I've done some interviews, and it just I'm baffled uh, with some of the decision making. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm on the whole, I think it's like a 60-40 split in terms of enjoyment and frustration, but that's still a fair amount of frustration when it comes to watching this show. And James, we talked about, I think, you know, what Lamar and Anamon have both just said, which is that mm-hmm. in, terms of, in terms of sticking the landing, I mean, we, I really didn't like the finale uh, for, <laughs> for, for reasons like, you know, like we were talking about with John Walker feeling muddled, Carly's demise mm-hmm. feeling muddled. Um, but what we talked about was you know, in terms of the one thing that the show had to get right, it was getting you excited about Sam Wilson as Captain America, uh, you know, kind of giving you an idea of why that was not as straightforward as maybe, you know, some mm-hmm. people would have thought at the end of Endgame. You know, because, I, you know, I've heard people laughing about the show who haven't watched it going... Well, wait, so you're telling me the show ended with Sam Wilson becoming Captain America? Why did they waste six episodes doing that? That's how Endgame ended. And, you know, to an extent that's true, but also, you know, I think the I think the Sam Wilson arc, there's enough on it and there's enough that he explores. And and the way that I think, you know, that Anthony, Anthony Mackie plays it mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and the way that they lean into his history as a as a bereavement counselor you know working with other vets for for what his take on being captain america would be that is the stuff that feels like it 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 does land and you come out of this going yes i would like to see more stories with sam wilson as captain yeah america. i mean it, it's uh it's like lamara said the the character work in the episodes are, is pretty good and these characters were kind of you know, sidekicks almost in the previous movies. Like they, they were only showing up for action sequences to to be like an extra hero. We didn't spend a lot of time fleshing them out. And this this show, if if nothing else, this show accomplished the you know the task of teaching you who these people are when they're not hanging around Steve Rogers being his backup guys. And that if. You know, of everything the show did, I think that was one of the most successful. Certainly for me, um, it's one of the things I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. So it did that separately. Did it do it together? <laughs> because this is a show called The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, <laughs> Malcolm Spellman in the, in you know, in interviews, and we should say Amon interviewed Malcolm Spellman on his new podcast, Fade to Black. Um <laughs> And um, Spellman has talked about movies like 48 Hours and Lethal Weapon and Rush Hour being inspirations for this and, uh, and, and, and Midnight Run. Um, and I was primed for a buddy cop show and I don't feel I got one. And I'm not sure I even got a show that really told me you know, aside from maybe that, you know, the, the times they were hanging out having, having a Heineken on a boat and Bucky was flirting with Sam's sister, I didn't really feel like I I got much of them as a unit, even if they were in the same room for a lot of the TV, sh- for a lot of the series. 
and you know not helped by the fact that they don't see each other in episode one which i thought was just a bizarre choice it's mad it's mad yeah <laughs> so how did you two feel that it worked you know for more of a for a, did they come across as a unit at any point in the show final episode there, there, there were a couple of times where you know they felt like uh they were beginning that where they felt like they were on the same page um you know the whole their first operation together starts off with them like you know no plan was there at all and so there's some there's some lip service to plan um so you know on on that level uh we saw but i with you in that the buddy cop batter barely came through it's a shame because I, I haven't sort of seen uh the sort of behind the scenes episode which they released a week afterwards um but you know we have seen like one of the reasons we were excited to see the body show uh or, or, or the, the body aspects of this because Anthony Mackie and Sebastian are so much fun together and it feels like all the you know, that fun off-camera stuff didn't translate on camera near as much as we were expecting or hoping. And that's a bit of a shame. And so, Lamar, I want to I want to ask you about this specifically because I, I think you've probably uh, been frustrated with me <laughs> slagging off your boy Bucky many times over the years. Constant abuse and trolling, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, you know, I, I as I said at the top of this episode, I think Sebastian Stan is the most interesting at points in this series that he has mm-hmm. been. The scene he has, uh, the flashback scene he has with um, Io in Wakanda, he's really good in. Um, when he is kind of kicking back and relaxing with Sam, that's and and smiling. That's the fu- that's the version of that character mm-hmm. that I like. Oh, I could. Sp- I I would be happy to spend time with that guy because look, it's handsome Sebastian Stan smiling, <laughs> um, and I think that I think my frustration with the way that they handled Bucky in this in this series is that I get dramatically they've gone okay, so we want him to finally come to grips with what he did as the Winter Soldier and kind of accept and move on. And having Sam as his sidekick, who is someone who kind of deals with people kind of suffering from PTSD, it makes it makes sense to have him as a guide. But that only really pays off in that one scene. And so instead, what I get is this buddy cop dynamic where they're both kind of sad and going through shit. And like even, even a movie like Lethal Weapon, where, you know, you've got Mel Gibson as the wild card, but he's going through stuff but he's nuts like that's that's the kind of that that's the comedic like element and the tension that you get in that movie whereas in this they just they've both got so much weighing on them for the entire series that i didn't really feel like that buddy cop banter could ever get going until at the end when like sam is saying don't flirt with my sister and bucky's grinning i'm like that give me that give me a series of that what like what if that had have been bucky for this entire series but instead everyone had to be sad yeah yeah i get what you're saying um that's fair i think i i kind of liked that they weren't together in the first episode because you've just got time to understand where they both were you know post flip 
Steve's gone, so on and so forth. But when they did get together, it, it felt so fast. Like Bucky goes on, like he says, oh, I'm coming with you. And you're like, well, why? Like, why? Yeah, why? <laughs> why are you going with him? For what reason? Okay, cool. And they're already kind of at each other's like throats, like in a, in a childish way. And, you know, you mentioned Lisa Weapon, you know, it's, like, like first of all that's a high bar like when it comes to body pop like lethal weapon midnight run even turner and hooch like these are high bars to meet, right you know and it, it, your dynamic has to be really clear so if you know sam was going to be the more kind of the one who thinks things through and bucky is you know rushing into it like when they're kind of watching what the flag smash is doing when they're feeling the vaccine like i didn't feel like that dynamic was really built and um as a result a lot of what they were saying just felt a bit I mean, I kind of chuckled at some of the lines, like it was okay, but I can see how, because I think among all of us, I've probably watched the most junk interviews with those two actors on YouTube. <laughs> Don't judge me, please, but I've had, no, I've had much to do in the last year. <laughs> um, but yeah, like the whole point that um, Rush Stanley even said in an interview, the whole reason that they put him with Anthony Mackie paired up is because he was quite quiet and Anthony Mackie is incredibly loud. So they put them together to bounce off each other and that's why it worked so well. But that didn't translate to screen for most of it. And I, I think the therapy scene is a great example of that where that feels like, that feels like more Stan and Mackie than Bucky and Sam. Like it just doesn't feel like how those two characters would behave, uh, particularly um, Sam. And as a result, it kind of, aside from that kind of emotional breakthrough that Bucky has, it, it it kind of didn't work that much but yeah as you say when you get into later episodes and they're on the boat and they're you know doing manly things and drinking beer that feels much more like a, a natural friendship between these two people who are on very different paths but have you know connected because of a mutual friend and yeah it would have been nicer if you had a bit more of that dynamic earlier on uh, it probably would have been a lot stronger for me it was for me it was that scene where they're checking the shield back and you know like it's a, like it's a football and they're just, you know, chatting about their lives and their various traumas. And that, that felt emotionally honest for the characters mm-hmm. compared to, like you say, some of the sort of, you know, more petulant banter that was happening early on that just didn't feel like, didn't feel like it was coming from the characters, felt like it was coming from the actors because a director had pointed a camera at them and gone, uh, just, you know, just be funny. Yeah. And that was episode five, right? Which, which was, was that everyone's favorite episode? I think it was definitely for James and I. That was, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to say now, um, I think we can all agree that the Falcon and the Winter Soldier started getting a lot better once the Wakandans intervened. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just pointing that out. How did you feel about the introduction of Wakanda in here, Amon? Besides, besides the fact of just being interested to see you know about like you know is your favorite showing up but did were you expecting them to show up in this show and were you happy with their function in the plot because you know there was uh and yourself and james were both involved in this there was discourse online when the wakandans <laughs> um were uh, when, when they <laughs> made bucky's arm drop off <laughs> yeah um, you know it's interesting i was not expecting the Wakandans to show up, but in hindsight, I should have been because it makes it, complete it does make sense. utter sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I like it was great they showed up when they did because I think episode three 
is that episode ends and uh, Io reveals herself. And episode three, to me, is the weakest episode in the entire series. Mm-hmm. So at least that's the ended on... Madripoor <laughs> episode, in case anyone uh, yeah. is struggling to identify them. Yeah, it just that episode in particular felt like it was pulled in about a million different directions. <laughs> when, was... uh, as I've seen pointed out in a lot of times, when they yeah. go to an Asian city-state that has no Asian people in it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I I loved it when they showed up. I think the fun I think their function in the plot was good. Um, you know, everything which they were doing made sense. Everything which they were saying made sense. I know that the James and I differ on the whole Bucky thing. The only thing I'll say on that <laughs> is that um, you know, in the times that we've seen Bucky previously in Wakanda, he's walking around without the arm and he's completely fine and completely at home and no, he's he's fine without having that uh, arm with him. The arm is only put in play when war is on the horizon. So I get that the arm is an arm, but the arm is also a weapon. And I think that were a certain purple-headed fool uh, not <laughs> to have snapped his fingers, I imagine that after that battle, T'Challa and Shuri had taken that arm right back and that Bucky would be absolutely 100% fine with that. Um, which is sort of why I sort of said what I said at the time, um, but I digress. Um, yeah, no, I I love the Wakandans um, on the whole. Like the one thing um, <laughs> which I didn't like exactly how they handled is that they have Io and Bucky have this really interesting great relationship. Bucky had no right asking for a favor after all the stuff. Yeah. He- yeah, and it was the <laughs> you, you need to sort of be explicit and show me that part of the conversation. Um, if you know you're gonna ask for a favor at that time, but on the whole, I, I really love the Wakanda and, and uh, that, that fight scene where they wreck Walker. Um, <laughs> I, I love the aspect of <laughs> I think one of the one of the lines I laughed the hardest at in this entire series is when. The Wakandas are wrecking John, and Bucky's like, looking strong, John. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. And the way that made me laugh. I, I I think that's my my most watched scene in the entire series, actually. Um I, yeah, that that sequence is great. And with it ending with that shot of one of the Doral Nage with the with cap shield in a hand. Yeah. I genuinely thought they were gonna take it from her because Wakandas do have a strong claim to that to that shield. Yeah, it's vibranium, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, that's just I love I love that scene so much. It was great. <laughs> In fact, when Sam was donating it to a museum, he maybe should have had a, a longer think about which museum he was donating it to. Mm. <laughs> I even you know I, I love the fact that um uh Sam has gotten his suit from Wakanda. Um because we're talking about the first African American superhero mm. in the comics. Uh getting his suit from the most powerful African nation yeah. in the comics. Uh, and I like that synergy. And, you know, in Marvel Comics history, Cap, both Steve Rogers um, and Sam Wilson have had a very sort of strong connection with Wakanda over the years. So this is another thing that sort of strengthens that bond. Because um, I was and- kind of speculating on the Patreon episode after episode five that maybe the suit would even be a little bit Wakandan inspired, that it wouldn't just be a Captain America suit. Mm-hmm. And the, and the Mario, you, um, 
you referenced it. The I think the reaction to the to the Captain America suit has been mixed online. Um, it's it's quite comics accurate, but I think it didn't work for everyone. So I do wonder whether when we do see Sam Wilson again, that will be upgrades. That she might be tweaked slightly. <laughs> but yeah, I would have liked to have seen some kind of influence in there. I also think it speaks to you know, one of the things that the MCU can draw on, which is that someone like Florence Kasumba, who I wouldn't think, oh, I'm desperate to see her again, or that, or, or really have even considered that, you know, if you just saw me someone from the Black Panther movies is going to show up, from, from Black Panther is going to show up in Falcon the Winter Soldier, I would have been going, huh, well, what, could, what, would they get that? And, but like when she shows up, it's like, oh yeah, it's it's actually one of the one of the Wakandans that we know the best because she's shown up in two movies, um, or actually you know one of the first ones that we that we met. Um, and yeah, as soon as she showed up, I was like, oh, fun, hi <laughs> yeah, great. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I, I agree with you about the um, about asking for the favor. I think there's. I think there's also uh, uh, the show gets this muddled a couple of times because I actually did think the the debate online about you know Bucky in the arm and whether there was any ableism there potentially. It's an interesting conversation to me because I think you know within the within the narrative of the MCU, and and Bucky and his actions and you know the and then the Dora Milaje turning up to be like, dude, what the fuck. We gave you this weapon, essentially. We we fixed you, we helped you, and now you've broken out the guy from jail who killed our king. Mm-hmm. Like, it com- completely justified it within the narrative of the MCU, but then it is one of those moments that you see on screen and you see it happen and you go, whilst that makes complete narrative sense, the optics of this... Are not fantastic because yeah, a, a, a guy who has a prosthetic arm has just had it, just you know, kind of callously taken from him. So it's it's um, and you know that's something that I'm sure the MCU will will continue to grapple with, especially you know, if it wants to continue to make strides in representation. That these are things that probably you know, I would imagine they didn't have anyone disabled working on the show that could have gone, hey, hang on, maybe that doesn't look great. Maybe we can find another way to to kind of give Bucky a, um, a slap on the wrist for what he's done. Yeah, I mean, for me, so I like I was one of the people who, when I saw that scene, I thought, you know, this, this doesn't look great. I understand why the characters would do it. I wonder if, if they really grappled with it. Like one of their the most convincing argument I saw against it was that sort of in within the, the show and the movies, Bucky's never really been coded as disabled in any way. Like he's just had an arm. Hmm. It's not caused any difficulty for him. It's, it's barely been referenced. Um, it's not caused him any upset. So it is one of those moments in the show that I think had, had it been considered in more depth, they might have made more of it. As it was, I think they were more thinking, what's a cool thing to happen here? I, um, do need to, I do need to ask a related question, and I think hopefully to, you know, just lighten the tone a little bit. 
Lamara, <laughs> if you were on a if if you're on a date and Sebastian Stan turned up, or a guy looking like that, and he was just inexplicably wearing these big leather gloves, <laughs> and you questioned on it him on it, <laughs> as happens in episode one of this show, would you be like, hmm? <laughs> Because um, well, James and I had a good had a good old laugh about how creepy those <laughs> leather gloves were in episode one. Yeah, I mean, like most women, I spend most of my time trying not to be murdered. So, um, <laughs> to, to be on a date with a guy <laughs> wearing black leather gloves, and it's not winter, then you would be a bit like, um, yeah, hmm, that that would that would uh, that would that would ring some alarm bells. I think, yeah. but just I before think, we move I on, think I, had... I'm, I think I massively failed to lighten the tone. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Um, I had a question though uh, before we move on about you know Bucky and Wakanda because when uh, Io shows up, he says, you know, he effectively says, "I knew you were coming." You know, I was waiting mm. for you to to show up. I thought that he effectively broke Buck, um, broke Zemo out or helped Zemo escape, knowing that he would end up in prison because the Dora were coming. Is that some that did anyone else think that or was that just me? Because I thought maybe he was thinking ahead. He knew that Zemo wasn't getting away, and but he could use him for whatever he needed at that point. I I think that I think that he knew they were coming because he knew what he'd done was wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I think it's I think what what you're saying would would maybe have been there in a in a better version of a show or the show a show that took a little bit more time to get through those steps because it's at the start it's at the very start of that episode isn't it that they break him out of jail and we're saying like that that episode absolutely flies by episode three the madripoor episode because it just goes we're doing this thing and then we're doing that thing and we're doing that thing but as as, as a result of that you know you break zemo out of prison but you don't really spend, you're not really able to spend any time with Bucky grappling with, you know, the importance of that decision. It's like, oh, by the way, I did it already. Um, mm. And, and you know, the, the, the pacing of this show is something that I think kind of led to those problems semi-regularly. Mm. You know, you got, because you had, you know, when you think about the series, the fact that, you know, episode five is, in the same, you know, the 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 best episode that that's part of the same six episode run as the episode three in Madripoor, it's mind blowing really because you know in terms of like, yeah, the, the the pace of those particular episodes and the stuff that they you know that they get into the different ones like, the Madripoor episode is a is just a nuts action you know relentless action movie for an hour. And then, uh, which, which you know, doesn't really, you know, if you showed someone that in isolation, you'd have no idea that this was a show that the primary concern on its mind was about race. Well, this is the thing. This is my main issue with the show. Because, you know, the third episode really clinched it. After, after three episodes, all three episodes were so different from each other. We didn't mm-hmm. know sort of what the show was, and it was halfway through its run. Like, one division was far from perfect, but at the end of episode one, you knew exactly what that show was and what it was trying to be. Like, its mission statement was clear. And with Falcon and the Winter Soldier, halfway through your run, and it's so nothing is beginning to coalesce, 
and you've only got three episodes left to play with, that's a problem. And like, I think part of the reason why episode five works so well is because at that point, Zemo is off the board. They've got less to sort of you know, fiddle around with and they have focus. And yeah. focus allows the episode to just breathe uh, at a level that other episodes just aren't. Like the fact and that you, you can have... You feel you know, that in the finale, like, don't you? Yeah. You know, like when you get back to the finale and you've got all of these different elements that have to be in there exactly. to an extent, even if it's just like that moment with Zemo, like that moment with Zemo even just felt a little bit too much to be like, oh, oh I have to think about him again. Okay. Um, and yeah, there's because you've got, you've got Falcon and the Wind Soldier, you've got Zemo, you've got the Power Broker, you've got the Flag Smashers. And and you've got Isaiah and that stuff going on at the edge of the story as well. And <laughs> I said this before, but the, the, the Isaiah thing is something which I both love and I'm just frustrated by because, again, race should be the cornerstone of this show. And I think, you know, whilst this show has many criticisms, you ask anybody about the Isaiah Bradley scenes and they will tell you that they love it. Like, for me, the Isaiah, the Isaiah Bradley stuff is the strongest things as the strongest material in the show and <laughs> the guy is in the show a six hour show for maybe 10 to 15 minutes that's insane to me um and you know not only that but all the all that other screen time is going to characters whose arts are muddled and you're not interrogating race all the way through in each episode of your series um, and then when you do touch on race, you don't follow through on it. Like, you know, that first episode has that much talked about scene with um, Sam at the bank. Okay. Nobody mentions it barely uh, after we see that scene. Then in the next episode after that, we have that scene where Sam and Bucky are surrounded by police officers. Okay. Does anybody discuss that? No. What's going on? This is what your show is meant to be. This, is, this should be the cornerstone of your show for so many reasons. And the fact that it was just on the fringes of sort of saying something profound and just chose to show and implicitly show it rather than explicitly show it out, show it and discuss it and have us see what kind of effect that it has on the characters in a big way, at least not until episode five and episode six, where the show is nearly done. That frustrated me. James and I talked a lot on the Patreon episodes. Like, I think there was a lot of benefit of the doubt in those first few weeks of like, okay, so there's the bank oh, yeah. scene as the police scene. And it's like, okay, this is getting bedded in here. It's it's kind of showing us these everyday moments of what it is like to be a black man in America. These little moments of, um, of prejudice that Sam is experiencing or the things that will be leading to him thinking about you know that you know the unspoken thing of why he chose to give back the shield but then because yeah you do kind of largely forget about it in episode three and four and then because the main villain of this series ostensibly is the flag smashers right Mm -hmm. you don't have any connection to that at all and don't really have any any direct connection to America either and it just it became it became the story that was bogged down in like the mechanics of the MCU but not even America in the MCU just this this weird fuzzy global politics so when in the final episode Sam does give his big speech 
I kind of got lost in what Sam was saying in that final episode because it was like, hey, look, this thing should happen with the borders because of the blip and then and it's not that easy. Well, I know it's not that easy, but like it reminds me of being an Avenger and and it just all felt a little bit too clumsy. And again, you know, going back to what you were saying, Amon, too many elements and not and too many elements that didn't always necessarily coalesce like there was never a moment in one division there was never an episode in one division where i was like oh i'd forgotten this show was about grief you know that was that was that was bedded in there all the way along even when they were doing the lightest sitcom episodes but yeah that like you you watch episode two and three of this and you kind you kind of forget it So that yeah, that 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 was one of the frustrations we we had. And James, we also debated the final moment with Isaiah quite. Yeah, a bit. I was gonna, I was just going to put Amon up on that, which is that I I really enjoyed the early Isaiah stuff where he's talking about how he was betrayed by his country and how you know how badly he was treated and how he wanted no part of being Captain America and you know to the extent where. I think it's episode five. He's making an argument that, like, he literally says to Sam, you know, no black men would want to be Captain America. No um, self-respecting black men. Yeah, no yeah. self-respecting black men. And in that moment, I was sort of convinced and I was going like, well, he's kind of got a point. Like, are they, are they actually going to have no Captain America? Um, but then when they turn it around like and they they give him his statue and his his exhibit and i was just kind of like man that's not really what his problem was unless unless their intention was that was the subtext of his you know anger but i don't i don't feel like it was i don't know what amon and lamara felt about that arts culmination yeah when i was watching it i found it um i think mostly because of carl uh, lumpley's performance like I, I I felt moved because of how he reacted as he walked through the museum like as I, when I rewatched the mm-hmm. episode when you before he sees the statue you kind of look at his body language and he's kind of like fiddling with his hands like he looks nervous he looks uncomfortable and I, I totally you know bought into what he was feeling at that moment but then I heard you guys talk about it and I was like oh yeah actually <laughs> they kind of got a point where you know as you mentioned it wasn't his problem wasn't that his country didn't remember him it's how they treated him and the fact that they robbed him of his life, his, his time with his, his wife and, you know, everything that, you know, people deserve to experience. And um, I don't know if the plaque mentions any of the stuff that was done to him, but <laughs> it, it did feel like a, yeah, like it, it kind of half worked. But with Isaiah, I think if you had that conversation with Sam earlier on mm-hmm. and then, um, but obviously they had to push that out of the way because they were, you know, going around on a private jet, which you just didn't need. Um, but if they had that, if, if I had that conversation earlier on, at least she would have had time to really feel Sam grappling with what Isaiah has said and how he feels about it. Even what Rody says in the first episode, you know, he asks him, "Why didn't you take up the mantle?" It would, you would have had more time to really feel what that character was going through. Because really, when you watch it back to back, he has that conversation. He trains with the shield, and then the next time you see him, he's fully suited and booted, and and it can feel a bit, a bit rushed. Mm-hmm. Um, so so yeah, I, I wish that was uh, just a bit earlier on because it would have it would have felt more powerful when John Walker was doing his bullshit because Sam's obviously watching <laughs> him doing all of this and like this guy, you know, it, it would have it would have felt like more of a more kind of internal conflict for him to 
to know that he can do better than John Walker, but still feeling like nobody wants him to, to do that job. So, yeah, that was something that could have been a bit better. That's, Those teams are so strong as well. That's a good point that you mentioned there, which is that early on, you know, Sam, Sam gives up the shield and then suddenly John Walker turns up and he's got it. And it takes a long time for them to give us any insight into what Sam was actually feeling about being handed the shield. Mm. So we sort of don't know what, what Sam was thinking when John Walker turns up. It just like, seems a bit irritated, but, you know, we don't, we haven't got the interiority of his character to understand why he did it. We just have to make assumptions until about episode five. So yeah, again, that's a good again, point. Again, because you've got this relationship between Sam and Bucky where they are kind of adversarial, but not, you know, not even adversarial enough for it to be interesting, but not, certainly not a relationship where until episode five, they will actually have a, a chat about anything that means anything. They, they can't, you know, they, they, there is no confidant there. They can't have that conversation. They can't, you know, there's, there never really feels like any opportunity for Sam to get into it. Um, and again, that's again, I just kind of wanted, you know, the, yeah, the, the friendly bantery press junket relationship between those <laughs> two rather than, um, rather than what we got. Um, Amon, I mentioned that you interviewed Malcolm Spellman. And one of the things that Spellman was talking about, um, it, and I haven't listened to your interview yet because I wanted to, I didn't want to put words into your mouth on this podcast. I'm looking forward to once we finished going and giving that a listen. But one of the things that Spellman has been talking about in his, in his interviews is that he talks about this horizontal versus vertical storytelling and mm. how that in a TV series, you have this kind of horizontal story that you want to tell from start to finish. But then in a movie, you have this vertical storytelling that like it's a lot more, the pace of it is, you know, you do this thing and that thing and that thing and that thing. And then you, it, and that basically what Marvel had asked him for was a, a TV series that felt like it was six movies. So that's how he approached it and went, okay, so I'll do a movie a week. And so that every episode has to have its own, you know, kind of, it has to have its own kind of movie structure. And, and, and so essentially uh, applying this vertical storytelling to each of the six episodes, but still being able to tell this horizontal story over the course of the six. And as if it was this like new way of, of breaking down how to do TV. And I think, you know, I think that him approaching the show like this has led to the show we've got, which is six episodes that feel like they are so tonally different, that are paced so differently, um, but satisfy whatever internal Marvel, um, you know, ask there was to be able to tell a story that felt like a movie each week. So, you know, you had, you have episode one where the two, where Falcon and Winter Soldier aren't meeting because it wouldn't make sense for them to meet in the third act of a story and not really go anywhere with that. So you need to do that at the start of the episode, you know, and besides, besides getting, you know, kind of your cliffhangers at the end, each episode ends up being its own thing. But I, I, I'm so confused by that approach because it kind of presupposes that TV shows have never 
existed before or that a TV show that tells its own story week to week with a three act structure that fi- that is paced consistently throughout the course of a series makes sense. Because I, I can't imagine binging this show. I can't imagine sitting down and watching six episodes back to back. And I don't know if any of you have tried to watch more of the back to back, but it just must, it must feel so jarring going from one episode to the next. I would imagine yeah. so. I haven't, I haven't uh, done that myself, but Wait, yeah, Lamara's, not, Lamara's nodding like she might have done. <laughs> I, I, over Bank Holiday weekend, I did uh, three episodes one day and then three episodes another day. And yet, specifically those, uh, or particularly the first three, back to back was wild because it, it really felt like very, very different uh, programs. But you know what I mean about that just seeming like, I just couldn't get my head around it when he was talking about it. So I'm thinking, well, I've watched lots of TV shows over the years that tell their own story. And I, and and if you are doing a TV show, why does it need to feel like a movie each week? Yeah. Now, to me, that quote more than any other sort of indicates to me that Marvel is still figuring out uh, Disney Plus mm-hmm. and how they can get the best out of it. Because you're completely right in that it feels like six movies, but it just doesn't work in this format. Like, if you look at Falcon and the Winter Soldier as a movie, then the beginning and end of Bucky's arc makes sense. But when you have all this extra time to dig into that character, to dig into his arc, it doesn't work. Like, you've built up this entire... Bucky's main thing is to make amends and, you know, make, as Sam says, make the people whose wrongs feel better the end of his arc we don't even get to see that because the thing cuts away after 15 seconds that's what you've been building towards for the entire show in in the film that would make some semblance of sense in a tv show when you have time no it doesn't uh and yeah there's stuff like that like what they do with sharon carter and certain sort of um episodes here in the movie the, the the amount of time you give to that character and the attention to pay the, the, and the attention that you pay to that character would make more sense than what you do here, um, which is you know just not quite good enough. Not it's it's a very muddled arc. You know, there's when you actually break it down, there's things that she does as the power broker that don't seem to make any sense if you are that character. Um, yeah, it's just. With stuff like that, but I, I think you know, as as Marvel go on and as we get more of these Disney Plus shows, they will begin to figure it out to the point where I then think we'll look back on the Falcon and the Winter Soldier as, as like the Iron Man two of the Disney Plus. I hate that the Falcon and the Winter Soldier looks like it's going to be that guy in the midst of all this, but. <laughs> That's sort of where I, I'm, I'm standing on it right now. So that's, that's what it looks like to me. One of the things that I thought, like, one of, one of the problems was the, the tonal dissonance that I was getting from the stories that were being told. So, like, we see, we see Bucky saying, you know, that he wants to make amends and that he's, you know, kind of, he's being advised not to, not to get back into a violent lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And then he spends the next four episodes like hanging out with people who are, you know, breaking into places and killing people and, you know, 
getting into massive gunfights. And then at the end of it, he's like, ah, oh, but I didn't shoot Timo, so I'm I'm cured. <laughs> and like we have the same thing where episode one opens with Sam having a fight with a bunch of people in helicopters and like several obvious fatalities. And then a few episodes later, John Walker kills someone and everyone's horrified. And you're like, mm-hmm. the difference between killing one set of guys and killing another set of guys is razor thin. And I want to get into this because I think this is probably one of the other quotes that Amon was, uh, <laughs> was referring to. Because, yeah, the, the, the tra- worldwide news, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the treatment of death in in this show is and uh, well death murder what what you know what, whatever you want to call it but you know it, one of the light that like the uncrossable line that seems to be drawn in the sand when it comes to the flag smashers who are the villains of this show and the way they they're written i think is you know it took a lot of inspiration from how um black panther used Killmonger, which is to go, what if we give our hero, uh, so what if we give our villain a point of view that completely makes sense that that is, you know, that's, we kind of, we kind of morally agree with them, but then we show them going too far in, in pursuit of those aims and, and still have to acknowledge that they are the villain. The thing is, when you do that in Black Panther, that feels like a really consistent character and and a really fantastically performed one. Whereas here, what we get from Carly is a character who kind of goes, I think this and I think this and I think this. And you're going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she goes, ah, and I just need to remind you I'm bad, so I'm going to blow up this warehouse. Um, or... Yeah, or you know, like in in the final episode, just be like, look, if people need to, if we need to die, if people need to die, and it just doesn't, it it never feels consistent for her. But when when that line is drawn in the sand of the only, you know, the the reason that this person is bad, the reason that this person is a villain, is because they kill people, then that needs to ripple through the rest of the show. And as James said we have that with our heroes that all of our heroes kill people they break zemo out of prison who kills people with or, and, or attempts to kill people with impunity whether he thinks they're good or bad just because he you know doesn't you know because he doesn't want any superheroes or more super soldiers and then the worst part of it of all i think and this is in the show and then in the interviews afterwards is that John Walker, this horrific final image at the end of episode four, where the shield is used as a weapon, it's covered in blood, it's this horrifying moment, and you go, as an audience member, I don't know about you guys, but I kind of went, well, that's it. Uh, There's no coming back from that for John Walker because the dude just used that, that particular symbol to murder a man, like cold bloodedly murder a man and bludgeon him to death in the most violent, horrible way. And, and and then that's where you kind of think, well, okay, so the show, but so the show is that knowledge that, you know, it's fudged it with the earlier stuff, but at least murder is crossing the line and that's how we know someone is wrong. Until episode six, where John is back into the fold and he is buddying up with Sam. And I said in our Patreon episode that it kind of made me feel uncomfortable, but, you know, maybe it was just, you know, maybe it was just the way that it, it, it the character hadn't landed as intended in that final episode, that it looked like he was getting more of a reprieve than he was. 
But then in interviews since the show has ended, and seemingly interviews that contradict each other with Malcolm Spellman and Kerry Scogland as the, the, the director of all of these episodes, they've talked about the, the aim of the show being that they wanted you to like John Walker by the end of it, and they think they achieved that with the audience. And I'm going, I like, I like Wyatt Russell. I like that dude. I don't like John I'm, Walker. I'm just, when I, I'm just baffled. Utterly <laughs> baffled by that quote. It makes zero sense. And uh, it, it frustrates me so much because I think Wyatt Russell, as you say, is doing a fantastic job uh, in the role. Uh, it sounds like he didn't really know. It sounds like between his Wyatt Russell, Marcus Bowman, and Carrie Scotland, all three of them have different ideas about the storytelling and intent in regards to John Walker, which is insane to me. Like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And but John, the thing about John Walker is that he's an interesting character, but he's not on any level someone you could like. No. Like, he's a guy who makes the wrong choice at every point and mm. doesn't get held accountable. But then gets, until he gets given his hero moment in the finale where he makes yeah. the right choice. And that and that's and that's supposed to be enough. But like, but like it's for me, it's that he doesn't interrogate himself. Like he just he believes he is right all the way through, and then at the end he gets you know a slight telling off, and then is recruited for something else. Like he should be in prison. And that's, that's the, the optics. Come on, I was going to say for a, for a show that is so you know, that is is so predominantly interested in the idea of race in modern America. I thought showing a guy who is effectively, you know, America's top cop, right? Mm -hmm. Murdering someone on the street and then not facing consequences for that was something that I couldn't believe that the people involved in the show hadn't thought that through. And then I don't know whether they thought that making... Battlestar Lamar Hoskins, John Walker's sidekick, a black character, and that th that would in some way mitigate the storytelling with John Walker. But uh, we and we talked about this as the episode's rearing, and I'm I'm still not clear on it at the end. Why John Walker's black sidekick was the one who made who didn't make it out of the show alive. Like I, I was waiting for the commentary, and I don't know, I don't know if I've missed it, but I was waiting for the commentary as part of the show that was going to go. This is the reason the black guy died first. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think we got it. No, we didn't. We didn't I actually ask Marcus Bowman about that. Um, I was not satisfied with his answer, and I shall leave it at that. <laughs> but um, yeah. Now, what you're talking about, it sort of speaks to one of my issues with this show um, and might be one of my issues, why the issues with some of the MCU storytelling in general, which is that there's a difference between being likable and understanding sort of where villains are coming from. Um, and I think with this show in particular, um, Marvel just didn't want to let their villains be all the way villains, like none of them. Like, you know, Sharon, she is the power broker, but she helps out Bucky and Sam and she kicks a whole lot of ass. So how bad is she really? John Walker is US agent. You know, he's, you know, bashed somebody's 
guy's head in with the shield. He's done all these things, but he gets his hero moment. Sam and Bucky are called him, apparently. You know, he's got all this veteran stuff that the US government have been annoying to him. So how bad is he, really? Um, Carly Morgenthau, she has a point with all the things she's saying. But she's, you know, even though she's blown up all these people, she still has a point, though. So how bad is she, really? Zemo, he's killed King T'Chaka in Civil War. He's done all these bad things. He's murdered people right in front of Bucky and Sam. But he's helping out Bucky and Sam as well. And he dances for an hour. How bad is he? Really? (laughs) And that's like, when you have all those characters and you have all those motives, either you got to make those arcs crystal clear and be on point with what you're saying, or just simplify it and let bad people be bad people. It's okay. I think the one exception that they've got right is Loki in that yes no he's bad and he's all, all these bad things but he's so charismatic and Tom Huddleston is so good in the role and I think they're going to be doing really interesting things in that miniseries but with this show all those arcs are so muddled and it just felt again the storytelling and intent behind all of those characters it just felt so messy and, and I think that's, that's more the problem for me is that it's not necessarily that you know, let your villains be villains. It's that I came out of the show not necessarily knowing how villainous anyone was supposed to be. Yeah. Because yeah. because the background is muddled. And I think, Z- you know, Zemo is a great example that actually, if you if you want to introduce a, sh- a character into a show that, the, that Marvel have got already, that's on the board that you can go, look, this guy's ostensibly a villain, but actually, you know, it's a lot more complex than that. And in his introduction, they kind of go, do you remember that complexity? That's gone and we've just replaced this with this new version of the character who's super rich and kind of a bit mysterious and supposedly has connections to the criminal underworld. And so I was like, well, Okay, so I don't really know how to grapple with that. You're right with Sharon. We never really get, you know, it's just like a reveal in the final episode of, oh, actually, she was the power broker all along. Um, uh, to put this on the record, it was on the main feed, all along. <laughs> they should have dropped that. Um, <laughs> James and I are convinced that she's a scroll. By the way, um, we we. Um, are predicting that there's going to be at least one scroll in every MCU show between now and Secret Invasion, and that Sharon is a scroll in this one. So that maybe that'll give him a get out of jail free card for it not being a very well written character. In this really not very well written. <laughs> I, mean, I, I like that. Uh, I like I like that Sharon is more interesting than she has been previously. But again, it's just so messy her arc. Like, why would she lead? Uh, Sam and Bucky to the, so the to the one guy who can yeah reproduce the super soldier serum yeah I mean I guess if she's a skull that might make a little bit more sense but I don't know but her you know her motivations are unclear and if anyone could tell me why when Carly dies she says I'm sorry uh, I would really appreciate it because I think that was my least favorite moment in the series it's <laughs> like just give me give me one clear interpretation of who this character is, mm-hmm. what she wants, what like what she actually feels, um, rather than just kind of talking in, you know, like cliches every time she needs to give a bit a bit of a speech to her followers. Uh, yeah. 
Should we um should we talk about some elements of the show that I think uh, th that I think were more successful? Um, I, and I think I think the performances, you know, we and actually it's it's similar to um, what I was saying with Captain Marvel in our news section, where you know a lot of these characters are muddled and difficult to grab onto, but you know I think. Like I said, I think this is Sebastian Stan's best work. I think Anthony Mackie has a real clear take on this on this character and what this version of Captain America would be. I think Carl Lumley is fantastic every time he turns up. I think whilst the character is muddled, um, Daniel Bruhl is just having so much fun with this version of Zemo. Um, and, 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 and Wyatt Russell as well, I thought was, you know, was was really great and there was you know there wasn't really many weak links in the cast you know i quite I kind of like i thought danny ramirez as as joaquin was fun when he turned up um maybe the batrock actor is limited um but you know kind of kind of everyone and as you said you know i'm not the biggest sharon emily van camp fan um but at least she seemed, you know, she seemed engaged, and there was more to the character this time than just, oh, that person over there. And I guess that is the benefit that even if you do have six confusingly paced episodes, that is still six hours of television where characters have to be on screen, and you can spend time with them, and they get a chance to do something. That's true. That's true. I agree with that. Um, I think Mackie is is great. Um, and even though the speech, the words of the speech may not have all the way worked for you, Joe, I think you could probably sort of agree in that Mackie made you believe them <laughs> uh, in the in the actual sort of speech. Uh, I, I thought I thought, I thought like the delivery the was fantastic. That's what I was going to say. His 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 delivery made me believe that the script maybe made more sense than it did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I didn't have a problem with any of the performances at all. Um, I thought Stan, there were a couple of moments where Stan really got to shine, like um, I think at the beginning of episode four, where they have that flashback in Wakanda to where Io is sort of testing that Bucky is free from his programming. That's really great acting. Uh, I love even the scene and the therapy scene where sort of Bucky sort of, you know, has that emotional moment. I thought that was great acting. Um, so yeah, um, I just wish that he had sort of more of a consistent arc to show those skills more often. Um, but yeah, his, his, performance is, his, his performance was great. Lamar, was there anyone that stood out for you or was it just nice to be able to spend more time with Sebastian Stan again? Uh, <laughs> both, uh, both of those things. Uh, no, um, Wyatt Russell, I've only seen mm. in 22 Jump Street. Um, mm, yeah. Which is, you know, he's funny in it, but it's, it's, it's a relatively small supporting role. And um, I thought he was really, really, really good. Um, funny enough, I never saw John Walker as a villain. I always saw him as, you know, someone who's just making the wrong decisions and, and you know, yeah. is frustrated by the fact that everyone rolls their eyes when he walks in the room. Um, but I really kind of got that, um, got that level of frustration from him. And, you know, it's like it's moments where he's disappointed that someone's beating him up and they don't even have a serum. Those moments like that were really, really yeah. good. Mm -hmm. um, even though I don't think they needed to go to, Europe, it was nice that not everything was kind of green screen. And mm. uh, uh, I thought that gave uh, some scenes some, some nice texture to them. Um, 
But yeah, that, I, I, that was one of the reasons, right, that the that the show was delayed, that it actually did have location work. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that, that does come through, as you say, when they're in Eastern Europe, uh, when they're down um, in Louisiana. Um, you, very often, Marvel movies can feel like they were shot in a backlot in Atlanta, you know, and that and the, all of it was. And I did think that, yeah, there was there was a bit more texture to this. It wasn't something you could do in One Division because One Division, you know, that that doesn't lend itself to a sitcom. But yeah, th- I I hope that this is something that they continue to do um, mm. yeah. because yeah, it definitely a lot more texture visually to the places that they were hanging out. Mm-hmm. I really liked. Uh, maybe... Go ahead, Mom. No, I was just going to say I I, I wish that. Um... That visual flair was applied to some of the action sequences because as you pointed out a lot of warehouses lying around <laughs> <laughs> they, they kept going back to warehouses <laughs> yeah i did like some of the uh shield and how that integrated sam's style in terms of uh, his airborne combat and sort of stuff i thought that was cool um i really liked henry jackman's score um, which made yes. a lot of use from his uh, Civil War uh, and Winter Soldier work and incorporated that in really interesting ways. I like uh, Sam's theme and when it really comes into it, comes into its own, it's really, really cool. Uh, so Henry, I enjoyed that. I'm on, you'll know more than me, but Henry Jackman seems like one of those names that, um, you know, I, I don't notice scores as much as you and I don't look out for composers as much as you, but like he's one of those names that feels like he pops up more regularly than you would think in superhero stuff and tends to deliver something that's pretty on the money. Yeah, no, he's done a few superhero scores. So he did Winter Soldier and Civil War. He also did X-Men First Class. Yes. Which had that uh, great uh, Magneto score. Da-da, 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 which is great. Um, So yeah, uh, I expect that he'll uh, be hanging around the MCU and he'll, he'll do sort of more stuff for them in future, I'm sure. Um, Captain America, for as we know, is in the works, so I would not be surprised if he gets to call back for that. And I love, I love the theme tune, and I love, I love the as much as much as I thought that the actual moment itself was a, a little bit silly that um, that Sam had been kind of grappling with this whole episode and just went, I know how to fix this training montage. <laughs> so we, we yeah. get, <laughs> so we get the training montage, but I thought that that sequence worked because the way that they integrated the theme tune into that I was like oh this is silly but I am pumped I really am pumped <laughs> Sam's gonna be Captain America <laughs> yeah I love I love how I love that he gives it that Louisiana twang um to it as well which really really works so yes uh and yeah I love the training montage sequence you're not cap until you can rebound the shield off three different surfaces and then catch it that is the only <laughs> test. Once you've done that, then you can call yourself Cap. But only I just like, done that. I like the idea of since since he got the shield that he just kind of put it on his coffee table and stared at it for a few months, <laughs> <laughs> and then and gone. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna practice with that. I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna try it. Which actually, you know, it does make sense for the character. But um, yeah, yeah. It, it, the, the only thing I'll say that like you were talking about earlier about. Um, thinking that you could you know, see a version of 
this show where Sam is capped from episode one. Um, and I get that. The, uh, my only annoyance was, was that um, Anthony Mackie in interviews was saying that Sam never accepted the shield in Endgame, which was just <laughs> false because you said, I'll do my best. There was soaring super music playing. I was smiling. It was a whole moment. Uh, so, yeah. But, um, yeah, I liked the decision to actually sort of assess the doubts that come with a decision that like that. Um, I think that that was a good basis for the show. As I said, I just wish that they interrogated, a little, interrogated it a little bit more than they did. But I think... I think there would have also been an interesting version of the show that was Sam as Captain America from the start, but a Captain America who wasn't really, you know, who was still having all of the same doubts, who was mm -hmm. still having all of the... So, you know, it wasn't just that he'd given up the shield and walked away. He'd embraced it, but he didn't feel comfortable with it. And if he... And, you know, it, to imagine that him actually carrying the shield and wearing the costume for then the US government to go, actually, no, we'd like a white dude we can control... Mm. That that would I think that would have been a that would have been an interesting series as well. Mm. Well, this is partially what I want from Sam's future appearances because now that he's become captain, one one of the things I liked about the speech is they didn't sort of you know say that you know now that Sam is Captain America everything's going to be fine. It's not going to be fine. Yeah, they can't they and, can't do that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, just like when Obama became president, um, you no know, racism all of a sudden vanished. That didn't happen. Um, you know, and any, if anything, it should intensify. I just want them to show that, have Sam see that, and have them show us Sam grappling with all of that. I want, you know, I say I say I want, you know, only in terms of the show purposes, but I want to see, you know, protests, um, you know, people protesting Sam in the street as Captain America. I want to see all the social media posts of people getting mad about Sam being Captain America. And I want, <laughs> I, want to, I want the show to show us that and then have Sam see that and yet come out on the other side still wanting to do the job, still wanting to help. Um, I just wish that we got more of that side of things in this show um, because that's like, again, the core thesis of the, or it should be the core thesis of your show in so many ways. And I just, it feels like the show forgot about that too often. Or the, and, and I do, you know, I think the, the version of the show that I pitched a minute ago probably couldn't exist because it, they probably didn't want to do Black Captain America on TV. They wanted to save that, you know, the movie got announced as being in development straight afterwards. Yeah. I've, I've written down in my notes here for this episode, you know, the, the first thing I wrote down was, what does it mean for a Black man to be Captain America? What does it mean for a Black man to be an agent for change in America? how often does the show grapple with that? And I think the answer is occasionally, um, but, but not fully. And I don't think it can fully because a black man isn't Captain America until right at the end. And when he is, we don't get any sense of how anyone else feels about it. The only the only people we see react to two black guys on the street who go, ah, yeah, that's Captain America. Mm -hmm. And it's like, a, it's like a, well, yeah, I, I know that they would accept him. Because, you know, I, I talked about, and yeah, I, I, I'm not just interested about what it means for a black man to be Captain America in the MCU. It needs to be telling 
stories about the real world and mm-hmm. and that make sense to us in our real world. And that's why James and I found the flag smashing stuff so frustrating because there isn't any parallel to yeah or if there if there is if there is a parallel for those characters it's just it's been so abstracted that it's impossible to draw out of the narrative like if you want to talk about those characters as refugees fair enough but they go to great lengths to say no no we're not if we're not refugees so once they suck that out you're left with nothing and and I don't think there's any point of Marvel trying to do this if it if it is just within this MCU bubble of this is how it would work in our world. There need mm-hmm. then there needs to be parallels because you know I, I was um, I was reading the other day that LeBron James had tweeted something about um, there was a black girl the other week who was killed by police in America and she was fighting with another girl and a and a policeman turned up and within I think it was something like within six seconds he'd shot her mm-hmm. and you know there was there was fierce debate about it because people were saying well look they were fighting she could have she could have had a weapon she could have had this she, I, I know, maybe she even did I don't know but the the point was within six seconds the decision had been made to take her life and LeBron tweeted about it and LeBron tweeted she shouldn't be dead the backlash the backlash was such to that tweet from LeBron James that he deleted it. Yeah. That's yeah. that's race in America this week. And I should point out as well, James and I have tried to talk about this as much on Patreon as possible. I think as it pertains to the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, it is race in America. But you know, that's that's not to say that this is just an American issue. Oh yeah. Um <laughs> But you know, as as it pertains to this show, that's and that's a real world example that I can think of. You know, that's happened since the show aired. That shows you, you know, there aren't many people that have a platform as big as his or a voice as important as his. And to say something that seems as straightforward and obvious as that girl shouldn't be dead, it cut that that he. He didn't feel comfortable keeping that that those words online. Yeah. Well, so yeah, and that's that's what I think. I think it's just it's a huge, huge thing that Marvel has to hmm. handle really delicately. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of responsibility with this. I think hmm. part of the reason why I was so excited and again frustrated with the show in some respects because Marvel are who they are and they have the cultural cachet that they do, they can set the tone on this stuff in blockbuster storytelling in a big way, not just with race, but with sort of, you know, uh, showing of sort of, you know, of gayness on screen, all sort of stuff. If Marvel do it because of who they are, others will follow. Um, So I want them to go all the way with this stuff because that's the sort of storytelling that we should be wanting from behemoths like this to inspire others to then sort of go further and take it further. Um, And this just didn't sort of go all the way on that. And I just don't want uh, Marvel and what else thinking that this level of storytelling about race on a blockbuster level 
is acceptable because it's not. You haven't sort of gone as far as you should go. You haven't been as explicit as you should be. Um, and yeah, I just hope with future stuff, especially when it comes to, especially as it pertains to the Falcon with the soldier, the good thing is like, you know, they, 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 they will have other bites at this cherry. Mm-hmm. Um, I just hope that they are bolder in future um, and not afraid to alienate certain subsets of fans if it comes to it. Like, don't play it safe and, you know, try and appeal to everyone. Say the right thing, say the explicit thing and let the chips fall where they may because... Force those people to come with you is the thing, isn't it? When it comes to this sort of stuff, it's really not. Like the people, the people who don't want a black Captain America are the ones you need to to drag along with you. Like, yeah, don't don't pander to them. Yeah, and and you would hope, I think that you know, we sort of think that the the episode of this series that's the most successful with all of the stuff we just talked about is episode five, the one that was written by. Uh, Delan Masson and that he is involved in this Captain America 4 project with Malcolm Spellman so hopefully you know mm. hopefully that is something that they continue to you know to to try and do properly because you're, you're right Amon I think it would be the the worst thing imaginable, imaginable if they went well so we've done the series that goes can a black man be comfortable being Captain America? And now he is, and it's fine. And we just go back to telling Captain America stories. And I, but I, and I do, James, you mentioned this a few times. I do think it's important as well to say that, uh, you know, it, it shouldn't have to be that every time that we see this kind of story, that if there's a black superhero, that it has to be about race. Yeah. Like, It it seems to me like one of the things they specifically didn't want to do in this series was have have a new Captain America and have him be the target of racist abuse. Because like, you know, there are other stories that are it's possible to tell about race and the way it's defined without having to be like, uh, you know, even even Captain America gets called names. You know, there are there are things you can there are more stories you can tell than that. Yeah. Um, I think there are, just, there, I, I, there are certain characters, though, that if you, you know, yeah, for, for Captain to have a black Captain America, it's impossible to avoid. I think you know impossible. one of the project, one of the projects we talked about earlier to have a black Superman, you know, yeah. I think it's kind of impossible to avoid. But you know, hopefully, whereas if if you're doing a story about America, that's when it becomes an issue, right? And, and, I, and, I, <laughs> and for a know, captain, for a character called Captain America, it feels like yeah. there are there are issues there to talk about. It's but, inherently political. You can't sort of yeah yeah. You can't get around that. But again, I think that's an interesting aspect of the character that they should lead into um, yeah. with Sam because in the comics as well, he's you know actually sort of speaks up on political stuff to you know to his detriment sometimes, given sort of the reaction to that. Um, but again, this is not the time to mince words both in the MCU and in the real world. And I think if it's written properly, um, it could really have an impact that reverberates beyond the MCU uh, uh, if, if they do it right. So I've, I've got my fingers crossed and I'm hopeful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So um, I think we are going to draw this conversation to a close shortly, but there's a couple of things I wanted to hit quickly before we go. And they're mostly about the future. We talked about the future for uh, for Captain America, for Sam. Um, can I can you... I just do a quick one first? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a quick, you know, short answers. Where does everyone think Steve Rogers is? The moon. On the moon. <laughs> On the moon. <laughs> yeah, fine. That's fine. <laughs> I will say, like, yeah, I would, I would not be surprised if Captain America Four even opens with Steve somewhere watching Sam's speech. Mm-hmm. I was half expecting them to have like a five-second thing um, in this show, but I'm guessing it would have been a very, very, very expensive five seconds. And <laughs> uh, Marvel don't have that kind of money when it comes to TV yet. I don't know, but um, yeah. Uh, Maybe they're saving it for Captain America 4. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I think the fact that Steve Rogers isn't dead really hangs over this entire story. I think it does I, for you, James. I don't think it does for all viewers. because it's. Certainly, <laughs> it I, say, I, I do love the fact that we didn't sort of see him in any sort of capacity in terms of helping Sam along his journey, which I know yeah, sort yeah. Of some people had talked about, but I really wanted Sam to figure all of this out on his own. Mm-hmm. And yeah. sort of stuck with that. And I actually liked the explicit calling out of Steve of like, dude didn't even think about it. He didn't yeah, even course. think about how, about what that would mean. Mm-hmm. Did it bother you, Lamaro? Were you, were you bothered not to see Steve? Yeah, I, I, as much as I love the character, I didn't want to see him at all. And all the people who were screaming <laughs> for cameos, I just thought, no, 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 no. First of all, because I, I genuinely think that Chris Evans is, is done, at least for this at this moment in time. But also because, as Avon said, this needed to be, you know, Sam's story and he you can't just bring in Steve when you know he needs a pet talk or something um <laughs> so yeah I, I like the idea that he's you know either on the moon or is just watching from afar looking at what John Walker's doing with a shield and shaking his head seriously <laughs> yeah I think it would have been a terrible idea for him to show up I think they should have given a clearer explanation of where he was the answer, James, is he's just off camera in that just picture. Out, just oh, out of shot. Yeah. No, that, that picture this week of Jimmy Carter and the Bidens, he's, <laughs> he's, he's behind those armchairs. Um, Lamara, what do you want to see from Bucky next? As the as the internet's premier Bucky stan, where do you want to see him go <laughs> next? Because, like, he's fixed now. He's a normal dude. Is there a, like, what, is there a story to tell with him um, now that he is... I don't know, that, that he's unburdened by the Winter Soldier stuff that you can tell. What's the new story that we can tell with Bucky? Because I've got to presume he's not going anywhere. Yeah, um, I kind of hope that however they handled him in this show, it would have been satisfying enough that if, he, that if I never saw him again, I'd be like, okay, his story's, you know, done. You know, we're moving on to the Young Avengers or whatever, like, fair enough. Um, but I don't think we entirely got that from the show. Like, even re-watching it, in the first episode, you know, the his therapist makes a big deal of saying, you know, you've got people who care about you, you're no longer, um, you know, hypnotized, you, you know, you're free. And he says to do what? So I thought that over the, by yeah, the end what, of the what six is episodes, the answer to that? Yeah. Yeah. I thought by the episode six, maybe you would have an idea of what he wanted to do. If he, if he wanted to, you know, just be on call when Sam needs him or when anyone needs him, um, fair enough. If you want to hang out in Louisiana with Sarah, that's cool too. Like you don't really get a clear <laughs> a clear idea of what he's going to do. So I don't know. I, I am aware that um, 
some of the comics kind of struggled with him after the Winter Soldier storyline ended. So I, I don't know. It will be interesting to see uh, what what they do with him. I, I don't really have any ideas. Or or I would be happy for him to just you know uh, maybe be in Wakanda and try and make it up for them um, and pay them back yeah. for the trouble he started in this in this series. But um, that's yeah, I get them feeling that they're not done with him yet. <laughs> you get a whole new book for your for your Wakanda man. That's what you need to do. <laughs> I because I don't know what the answer. Uh, I've got a, a little question mark placeholder in this. But if I was, you know, if, if Marvel did want to make a sequel to this series, uh, it would for me it would be called Question Mark and the Winter Soldier or Question Mark and Bucky. So it's teaming Bucky up with someone else because. I think now you save you save Sam Captain America Adventures for the big screen because uh, that's where Captain America needs to be. Um, and I would pair someone else off with Bucky and try and figure out what the interesting route forward for him in the MCU is because it needs to be in a new corner of it, I think. In the comics, the character they did that with or one of the characters they did it with was Black Widow. So it might be interesting to imagine, you know, pair of former... Russian agents, uh, yeah, not, maybe not the Natasha Black Widow, but um, the Florence Pugh Black Widow, perhaps, yeah, or, or perhaps. someone else, or someone else in that movie, because mm-hmm. and and that and that ties in nicely to um, Julia Louis Dreyfus turns up in this series, um, which I thought was delightful. Um, I don't know if you guys enjoyed it as as much as I did. Um, she was apparently originally going to make her MCU debut in Black Widow. Don't know whether she still will. Um, but yeah, that, I, th- I think that's interesting, James, that that could be a tie-in for Bucky. And I wonder, what did you think of JLD in this? Are you excited for her as kind of, it seems like a major force in the MCU moving forwards? She's putting the team together. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, uh, I do not watch uh, Veep, or, but I do like... Uh, Julia Louis Driver, so it was nice to see her show up. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see uh, what her motives are going forward. Um, but I liked, uh, first of all, she styled goals. She styled goals, which I was always appreciate. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, um, very very interesting to see over the next couple of appearances uh, what her grand scheme is as it comes into focus uh but this was a this was a nice sort of taster and i'm definitely intrigued which is i guess which i guess is what they're going for so and i'm even more intrigued after finding out that maybe i'm supposed to like john walker and <laughs> she's the one signing <laughs> him up so it will never happen marvel it will lamara <laughs> jld are you are you positive there looking forward yeah. to her I've been watching Seinfeld my whole life, so I've, yeah. I've got a lot of love, love for her. And also, I always, I've been wanting a dog for so long, and I always said when I get a dog, I'd name it Loki. But now, when I get my dog, it will be Contessa, Valentina, Allegra, <laughs> Devontae. <laughs> That's my plan. See, now I'm just like, I'm, I'm <laughs> thinking of Seinfeld. I'm imagining her bumping into John Walker and thinking, Spongeworthy. <laughs> <laughs> He is um, not. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that was on that note. That was Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, we would normally do a comic book recommendation at this point. Um, I would say 
Go read Truth. James and I have just read Truth on uh, Patreon. We've done a read-along of Truth. If you're not a Patreon subscriber already, uh, you can sign up to that, listen to that. And um, we really enjoyed doing that. It was fascinating reading it coming off of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. We mm-hmm. highly recommend you track it down whether you want to listen to that episode or not. Um, but yeah, uh, Truth, um, Red, White and Black, seven issue uh, series which you can find on Marvel Unlimited or Comixology. Um, it's this point in the episode that we bring in producer Reese. Reese, uh, you've got a pitch for us. Yes, I do indeed. Um, I thought this might be a, a sort of a heavier, meteor episode, so the pitch is very, very light. <laughs> uh, <laughs> pitch is simple. Uh, okay, you're in Madripoor. Uh, Sharon Carter says, "Listen, kill some time. Go to my go to my banging club." Um, you can take one or a handful of MCU characters in there with you. Who are you going clubbing with? <laughs> and we'll start with the, we'll go with the guest second. So we'll start with James. I mean, War Machine, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> You're looking for this. The guy, the guy has not been to a nightclub in his life. <laughs> Just Tony Stark's boring <laughs> members clubs. He needs to be down where the people are. Oh, so this I want to I wanna know what he's into. You're taking this more of you. You're helping him by bringing by bringing him there. That's how you, yeah, yeah. you sort of see this as a, a yeah. And you know, okay. if we happen if we happen to become best friends, and you know, <laughs> he flies me around in the suit a bit, so be it. <laughs> so be it. Okay, you'll you'll deal with that. Okay, Joe. Um. I was slightly tempted to bring in to sneak in the cast of uh, Spider Man just to get just to get them get get them a few cheeky drinks. Um, <laughs> that would be a um, crime, Joe. That would be illegal <laughs> and a crime. And if you picked them, that would be a disqualification. <laughs> but in, instead, I've decided to bring someone who we first met as a kid, but now he's grown up. He's mourning. He needs a drink. It's little Harley from Iron Man 3 who, oh, you know, God, he's, all, he's, all, he's all grown up at Tony Stark's <laughs> funeral. He needs a new mentor. Maybe that could be me. I'll buy him a pint and we'll have a great time in Madripoor. What is it with you and buying these underage? <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's of age, I'm on. I like see, he, he was six foot seven at that funeral. <laughs> you spend that of like, we met him as a kid first. I like just, I just the weird idea of you watching Iron Man 3 and being like, that kid, he's going to, yeah, I'd like to buy him a pint in seven years. He was years. fun. Yeah, yeah. He, <laughs> like he, he could be fun to hang out with. Okay, and yeah, sure. now he definitely is. Fine. Um, on my, just on my Zoom screen, I'll go to the next in line. So, Damara, that's you. Who, who are you going to um, follow with? I'm going to go with the first name that came into my head, which is Valkyrie. <laughs> I think yeah. she would be good. Yeah, I think she'd good. be really fun. Good yeah. call. I'm, I'm sticking with that. Yeah, she, that's good. She would drink you under the table, though, Amara. She'd drink everyone under the table. <laughs> it's, sure. it's true. But then I might get to, you know, have a go on the flying horse. So that's, that's <laughs> <laughs> What if you got so drunk? If you got so drunk and you sort of like came to and you were on like on a flying horse in Madrid, that would be, be a big night. That would be a huge night. Uh, okay, I'm on. That's stakes are now pretty high. You you got to you got to you got to beat that to to win the, to win this. I'll be honest with you. Well, guys, um, you know, I like I like jams, and there's no other character in the MCU who likes jams and who selects great jams as much as one Peter Quill, aka Star Lord. So no. I'm going to cover with him. No. Into, <laughs> with the DJ, 
take take over the DJ. Just you know, play play tunes from Awesome X Volume Five Thousand. Have a good time. He would be he'd be the guy in your club group who'd just be like at the DJ booth the whole time trying to like trying to request songs for like four hours. He would be he would be the worst. He'd be doing terrible dance moves on the floor. He he would. I'm sorry. I mean, I see where you've gone there. What What but... do you mean you're not playing 10 CC in Madripoor? What's this about? <laughs> yeah. This is the hardest tune of 2021. Have you not just listened that... to music in 30 years? That's that's canonically true of you. I'll just add that I would embarrass him on the dance floor and I'll dance off. I just, I just want to add that. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I think I'd, I think I'd, I think I'd pay to see that, but that doesn't win you the pitch, Lamar. That that slam dunk, yeah. Valkyrie Yay. slam dunk. We all knew oh, it when you said that. We all knew yeah, it. That, that, yeah, that was, that was even close. Can't complain. Wins it for the night. <laughs> um, so that's that's the end of this week's episode. Um, Lamara, Amon, thank you so much for joining us. Um, if you want to find Lamar online at your turn, Heather on Twitter, give her a follow. Um, Amon, I'm, I'm sure you would like to plug once again, fade to black on which you interviewed Malcolm Spellman and have also uh, talked about lots of other interesting things, <laughs> not just Malcolm and the Winter Soldier. Yes. Yes. So the fade to black podcast is with, is with me, Carice Lockery, uh, who uh, is a writer for the independent. You should definitely be following her and Hannah Flint, who writes for everyone? You should definitely be following. Would you definitely be following her as well? And yeah, we've got a weekly pod, Beta Black, where we talk about all the week's releases and uh, some of the hottest news of the week. Uh, so yeah, give us a subscription, give us a listen, give us a review, give us a rating, give us a like, <laughs> give it to us all. Anything else? <laughs> I mean, you know. DM me for bank account details. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, well, do you know what? That's that's really easy in terms of wrapping up the rest of the episode. So normally I would ask you to do all of those things for this podcast. It goes as it goes as given. Do ours at the same time as you do Amon's. You can send us money. Head to patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe and you can get some uh, weekly bonus episodes. Um, Going to be talking about Invincible. Yeah, last week, Truth, this week, Invincible. Um, the, the entire first series of Invincible is now on Amazon Prime. We'll be talking about that on Patreon next week. Um, get in touch with us on Twitter at Cine underscore verse. I'm at Joe 14. Uh, James is at James Hunt. I'm on, you're the only Twitter that I haven't plugged. So you're at I'm on Warman, aren't you? This is correct. I, I changed it a few, a couple months ago from a Warman to I'm on Warman. Uh, so there yeah. we go. So that's where you can find, and, and again, Lamar is at your turn, Heather. Um, we will be back in two weeks for our next main feed episode. Wait until after the credits to hear what we'll be covering. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. You bring the crowns and heads of conquered kings to my city steps. You insult my queen. You threaten my people with slavery and death. Oh, I've chosen my words carefully, Persian. Perhaps you should have done the same. This is, this is blasphemy. This is madness. Madness? This is Sparta! Cinematic Universe returns in two weeks' time with 300. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 